This episode of Tantric Conversation has been brought to you by Pasture at 416 East Gray Street, Richmond, Virginia, open for lunch and dinner. Pasture is a uh, southern uh, food restaurant locally sourced, and um, whereas you generally might think of southern food as being, um, you know, fried chicken and biscuits and stuff like that. This is more like fry, uh, southern food, like my mama would make it. Um, you know, a little little touch of the gourmet, a little a tinge of the of the um, higher thinking than just farm food. You know, it's the difference. This is like this is like country food of for Virginia and the South. Like you know, um, Southern Italian food is country food for Italy, and um, you know the. Southern France has got their country food for France. This is, you know, the version of that for America and the American South. And there are great kind of, um, you know, stuff that verges towards the, the farm, the borderline, uh, white trash. I mean, you can get pork rinds there and you can get Frito pie with vegetarian chili and cheddar cheese. And man, you can get a burger that I had just recently that's, that is a homemade version of something like a Big Mac with special sauce and sesame seed buns. Awesome. And, uh, you can also get there. They do small plates, uh, like steak tartare with, uh, jalapeno chili ketchup, uh, and then spicy cream rice grits smoked with smoked tomato broth and black eyed peas. You know, it's, uh, it's sophisticated southern food without being pretentious. And we really appreciate their support and uh, love Pasture and support them. Thank you. Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 22, Double Deuce, Deuce Deuce, uh, Mr. Marty Key. Marty Key uh, is a musician and a DJ and an owner of a great record store in downtown Richmond. Yet another uh, example of awesome stuff that's going on in downtown Richmond, and I, I'm in love with old downtown Richmond. I have such a soft spot in my heart for it, even though it hasn't been what it was when I was a kid since the 80s. And they had all the department stores and all these different shops and restaurants. And hell, there was even a video arcade and three movie theaters. I'd like to see that happen again. And it's guys like Marty and Jason Alley with Pasture and Comfort, and Ted Santorella with Terrence, and uh, I don't know who owns 27, and then Quirk Gallery, all those galleries, Quirk Gallery among them, or by the way, Chris is doing that Huckety Puppet Theater real soon, I don't know the date, but you just look it up, H-U-C-K-I-D-D-Y, um, of course, you know, we got those first Friday scenes going on down there all the time, and there's... Oh, there's that Rappahannock restaurant down there now, and there's a bunch of different shops. And it's starting to happen. I'm, I'm kind of, I have a theory that it's just only so long that, that uh, we cannot have a 
really thriving downtown scene because you know, the price of gas and the concentration of population on the East Coast, uh, we're just too centrally located not to be a th- you know a thriving, even more thriving, maybe even more densely populated urban area. And we are now, and I'm, I'm for it. I like it. I'd like to be able to walk everywhere like I used to when I lived in the East Village, lived in the village, wherever I went, I walked to keep my friends around so I had someone to talk to, yeah, that kind of thing. It's great when, you know, Taylor was talking about that a while back, you know, just the idea that, you know, a, a nice concentrated urban space, you can live and you can shop and you can be outside and walking around and enjoying your neighbors and all that. I believe this is possible in this city and I'd love to see it. Um, this is a long conversation, Marty and me. We had a lot to talk about. We had a lot of names we needed to drop as we got further into it. Both of us have gone to and from New York City and landed back here and he's been playing in Ted Leo and the Pharmacist which is on Matador Records and, or have been and they're not now. And I used to work there. Nothing glamorous. I just packed boxes there. And I totally lucked into that job through Mark Roth, who lucked into it through Steve West, who, you know, is Richmond native, who ended up in pavement back in the day. So it's the Richmond Connects, man. The Richmond Network. You never know where you're going to find it. I found it all over the place. It, uh, it's definitely my intro into New York when I went up there. And I, I want to go up there this fall and talk to some of the ex-patriots. Uh, that live up there and have yet to return, although almost everybody usually does. And uh, they call that the curse. I don't think it's the curse. I think it's, uh, you know, you get your fill of that, that really concentrated culture of, uh, of competitive egos and all of that. And then, you you know, you get it's kind of like a mosh pit, you know. You can spend a fair amount of time in the mosh pit and then you need to get on the sidelines and just enjoy the band, you know what I'm saying? And that's what Richmond is for me. It's like a place where I can actually breathe and enjoy life. And I do. I really try to take the time to do that now. And this doing this podcast has really made it possible um, through generous support of listeners like yourself. You know who you are. And if you don't know who you are or you haven't contributed yet, man, I'd really appreciate it. And it doesn't have to be a lot. Um, Ten bucks would be really great and there's uh, a paypal thing it's a donate button then you'll get your name up on the site under friends partners and supporters and then you'll your life will be complete but um i've been able to spend the summer interviewing people and putting these podcasts up and educating myself and this really has been so far just a great education i've learned so much about people uh that i barely knew i mean Marty, I had just forgotten if you'd been in all of these bands from the Young Pioneers up to Ted Leo, and um, I forgot that he did anything but DJ and own a record store and has been busy. Um, he's a great dude. He knows a lot about a lot of things. Um, so that it's a long one, but you know, don't be intimidated by the long tantric conversations. You can pause it. You can come back and listen later. You can download it. You can... I do that all the time with the ones I listen to. I come in and out of them when I get in the car and all that. So I'm not going to edit it. You guys, you can you, since this is on demand, you listen whenever you want. It's not a big deal that it's long, people. Really. So whoever you know who you are that complain, kiss my grits. Speaking of grits, don't forget about pasture. There are 
other, our friends, and so our comfort and go there, go to those places and eat up. And let's get to Marty. Off the mic when I want to laugh, like like when you're singing. You know? Oh yeah, I was like, because oh, I'm like always distorted. like, yeah, blowing it out. <laughs> yeah. Which is just you can't fix that later. You know, you can do stuff to these levels that um, make it look like you fixed it, but if it if it clipped, it's just clipped. It's just clipped. Yeah, it's you can bring out. up stuff, but you can't drop it. Yeah, it's like I guess with everything, you can't take something out, but you can add it. But you can add later. it in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, when it's like I guess you you hit that. You know. Especially laughter, I can see that. You know. Laughter, and some people, uh, like James Men- Menifee, is a real quiet talker like this. But he likes to start every sentence real loud. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of loud I just anyway. Did it to my Especially when I get into something, I get really loud. So, Marty, I was just, you know, I've, I've known you uh, as a, a, a character in, in Richmond, peripheral to my life, not a peripheral character in general, but, like, you and I haven't, like, I've been directly involved at any point i don't think we just had mutual friends and yeah we had mutual friends and we went to like shows right similar shows and parties or whatever yeah so i think i but i came i think i became aware of you in the late 90s so it's like before that is a blur for me where did you are you from oh Richmond? well i'm not no actually i'm from danville virginia oh yeah near the dan river right, right on the dan river yes the beautiful muddy uh, dan river um. Yeah, I moved here. Tell me 92. about growing up in Danville before we come to Richmond. Oh, <laughs> growing up in Danville. Uh-huh. Well, you're you're bored a lot, especially when you're you know a young lad who's into comic books and you know music and and uh you know it it, it was tough. I like bounced around to like different schools and um so I never had like any real solid friends for a while. Um. But uh, I ended up at uh, a normal, like, uh, I went to, like, a private school and um, ended up, like, going to this public school that my dad taught at and uh, kind of having to meet some new friends when I was in 10th grade. And, uh, you know, and I immediately latched on to, like, because I was into skating. I, met, mm-hmm. I latched on to these kids who were skaters who were just total delinquent misfits, you know. Right. Um, but in a, in a real goofy way, like in a real like that jackass way, where uh-huh. like we just did stupid stunts Pranks and stuff, stuff and, all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I think is just universal in that world, you know. No matter right. what, like this is like late eighties, early nineties, and I was like, oh, I guess you know when that stuff started getting really popular, you met other people in other cities that did that stuff. You're like, oh, I guess just for was some reason skate, that was the mentality or something. Did the skate video already exist at that point? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. There were definitely skate videos, and I think that's probably where we got it from. Cause, because, like, the first thing I ever saw Jack- Jackass was, like, a Big Brother skate video, exactly, wasn't it? Exactly, yeah. Like the end of that. And that's yeah. even before, I mean, we're going back to, like, you know, Animal Chin, you know, that was, like, the first one, and it, like, and it kind of blew us away because it seemed like it was a real, like, you know, a film or something. Right. But they were, you know, they're doing a stunt and they're goofing off or whatever. And I think that's probably where we Is that the that one from. that involved the scene of all of the hits to the uh, balls? Like, in the, they, that they juxtaposed with the scene from the Burt Reynolds prison football movie? Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, man, I haven't seen it so long, but that sounds about right. I definitely have seen that and I can't remember. It's a blur. Yeah. I literally haven't seen any of those in, like, probably since, like, 89 but, or something. But you... <laughs> Felt very at home in that culture in the in the I, skating and pranking. Yeah, I guess so. And, so uh-huh. you know, yeah, I just meet these guys, and of course, like everyone's into like punk, and at that point, you know, grunge started hitting, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. and like, you know, and like, 
What was Wait. punk for you then? What bands was was it? Oh, well, you know, like Dead Kennedys and Black Flag and um, Minor Threat mm-hmm. and stuff. Like, whatever, like, was advertised in Thrasher, right. you know, basically, <laughs> too. And I just remember, like, even one time looking at Thrasher and there was an ad for uh, replacements, um, mm-hmm. uh, Please to Meet Me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I guess this must be a good band. But I, and if I it's in Thrasher. Getting, yeah, I know. It's a Thrasher. It's got to be great. And I remember, like, you know, buying it. I was like, this sucks. This is the worst thing I've ever heard. You know, this is I'm not like, punk rock. I'm like 15 or whatever. Right. Or four, maybe 14 at the point. But, like, yeah, it wasn't, like, punk or whatever. But then, you know, like, later on, you're kind of like, no, this is actually a pretty good record. But at the time, mm-hmm. you know, I really just wanted, like, really thrashy, fast yeah. stuff. You know, like, right. I didn't, you know. But I would soak up anything if I saw an ad in a fanzine or whatever. And then I started finding, like, maximum rock and roll. Like, mm-hmm. once I had a driver's license, you know, when I was 16, I'm like, ooh, I can go to, like, record stores out of town. Mm-hmm. And then you get maximum rock and roll, and then I got a subscription to it, you know. And So that was the things that really got you into buying, led you on your record hunts originally was the magazines? Or were there yeah, people definitely. also? Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, I guess it's just sort of like, you know, me and my friends, we always, we never... We only bought the CDs or cassettes if that was the only thing available. Um, you know, we always bought records, you mm-hmm. know, and that was always, like, the thing. And then we got to the point where, we were like, like who has what and, like, mm-hmm. who has the color vinyl of that Super Trunk single or, you know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. Or that, and SST, I guess, like, around 1990 started issuing their whole catalog with color vinyl. We got really obsessed with trying to find them, yeah. you know, and, like, um, you know, and getting, you know, jealous again on a 10-inch mm-hmm. color vinyl and stuff like that. But, uh yeah, I guess so. I guess punk, because, you know, punk, like, vinyl never died with punk, you know? Right. Punk man still just put out vinyl, mm-hmm. you know? And it was, like, a normal thing. It wasn't, like, this weird, like, like what are you doing? Why are you putting out vinyl? Right, you Seven know? Inches never went away. Yeah, Seven mm-hmm. Inches never went away, like, especially in punk and the underground, too, like, mm-hmm. indie rock, too, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, they never went away. Like, like for instance, Super Chunk would never dream of, like, putting, I mean, they probably did put out CD singles or whatever, but, like, they put out singles. They put out 45s. You know, yeah. Or- Question. Would you say, because I was thinking about this punk rock uh, um, quandary back in the, I was talking to somebody else about this recently. When I when I worked at Matador in the shipping department there, mm-hmm. I didn't consider anything they were putting out to be punk rock, right? But they considered it to be punk rock. And, like, would you say indie is really the side of punk rock that's more like the replacements and that intellectual, like, art damage, like... Uh, well, yeah. Well, indie was definitely, like, the extension of punk. Like, right. most people who are indie bands came from a punk background because that's all there was. I mean, in a, in a way. I mean, there was, you know, the really art damage stuff, you know. Right. I mean, but those people aren't going to go off and do, like, indie rock. They're not aggressive. Nobody's going to listen to White House and then just go and be like, I'm going to start a band. I'm going to start Heavenly or something, you know. Right, <laughs> like, right. They, you know, it's like a lot of it was, like, born out of punk, you know, and... Um, even the stuff that, you know, C86 scene or whatever, and, like, those people who listen to that stuff, you know, it's still, like, based on punk. Like, mm-hmm. it all came from But how would rock. you, like, you know, we've ended up, like, different people, like, that I've interviewed, whether it's Tommy Van Auken, Painter, whatever, we end up talking about punk because people have certain notions about, like, what it is, you know. Like, you start off with the notion that it's got to be, like, Black Flag or Bad Brains or something like right. that. But uh, as you get older and you, you know, get more educated, you realize replacements are, are considered punk and Husker Du is to be stay in the Twin Cities. And yeah, as much as, like, people want to say that's part of the mainstream, it wasn't. I mean, it was still, like, it was, you know, I mean, the, even if, like, people thought there were sellouts back then or something, it was still, like, in a, 
you know, van you right. know, that broke down. So all what the time. is that? What defines and it? Like I, it's an attitude. I mean, mm-hmm. it really is just like punk is an attitude, and and you know, on a, I don't know. I mean, there's punk rock, and then there's just punk. You know, right? Punk rock would be you know just would be your black flag, mm-hmm. and <laughs> you know, or you know your. Yeah, you know, I mean, even Dinosaur Jr. Though, I mean, that's punk. I mean, back then that got all lumped in. You know, right. like when those records were coming out, I didn't think that Dinosaur Jr. was any different than, you know, like some RKL record I was getting or something. You know, it's just like it all sort of like was it's a lumped strange together. thing that somebody said to me. I was back when Dinosaur Jr. came out. They said. This girl that was my next door neighbor, and I'd heard more than one person say this: "If you like Jane's Addiction, you will like Dinosaur Jr." And so I listened to Dinosaur Jr. I was like, "This has nothing to nothing do. to do with that." But you know, I knew like I I even had that Jane's Addiction record, um, that not the triple X one, but whatever, uh-huh. uh, nothing shocking, right, or whatever. Right. And uh, for some reason, I only liked the the Mountain song. That was it. Yeah. The rest of it, I hated because it just sounded like crappy classic rock to me. But I really liked the Mountain song for some reason, <laughs> and I had the cassette. And I would just listen to that. Um, but, yeah, I think, like, even back then, yeah, de- definitely. I had friends that were, like, into Jane's Addiction, and they liked Dinosaur Jr., and they liked the Misfits, you know? And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they, you know, it, uh, it... looks like Perry Farrell is, is punk, and, and it kind of seems to come from that tradition. But yeah, Dave I mean, Navarro is he not. Gone to, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's obviously he went to... He must have gone to punk or hardcore shows in right. L.A. around that. I mean, they, it's, it's very obvious, you know, like... But um, or just you know, I mean, L.A. was changed so quickly; it was kind of like got really gothy mm-hmm. punk, you know. Like I'm sure yeah. he saw Christian Death. I mean, you know, it's, that's fairly obvious, right? <laughs> right. To me, but uh, yeah, it's like I mean, it's either you're that or you're Madonna, or mm-hmm. you know, at the time, or Don Henley or something. You know, yeah. Like, it was just sort of like there was no real like in between. Like now, there's like an in between. Like you have just bands who like they were for being what they were. They were pretty mainstream. It, at that time, oh, even yeah. like nothing shocking was fairly like you they, know, was it was out on there. MTV. Yeah. yeah, they were definitely mainstream mm-hmm. for sure. You know, um, well, let's go back to Danville. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Let's take a trip back then. So you did you you were were you, you said comic books and I I just interviewed somebody yesterday who was about comic books. Were you collecting comic books or you? You know, were you really into them, or is it just like a pastime? Like uh, I was, re- I was actually really into them um, up until probably when, it, right when I started getting interested in playing music and and buying, going to more shows and stuff. And, and I still had friends that were like into comics, but I got like, you know, I was into the obvious, like you know, buying Spider Man, Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. and, you know, Batman comic. You know, I was just like reading stuff like that when I was a kid, and then. uh and I started like kind of discovering underground comics, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, getting stuff. And I got really obsessed with this one comic called Flaming Carrot Comics. Mm-hmm. I've never heard that one. Yeah, it's this guy Bob Burden in Atlanta, and he just did this. It's like a superhero parody comic. Mm-hmm. It's really surrealistic and interesting. Like, uh, especially like someone's like fourteen, fifteen, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pretty cool, and it was actually kind of like new wavy and punk. Too, you know, he had like his sensibilities were very like. I mean, even in the like, he has punks in the comics and stuff. You know, guys were like mohawks. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, yeah, did, you know, and I was in the com- You know, did, just, trans- did your comic collecting and interest sort of engulf the music thing? Did you start? Did you approach music the same way? Like, I'm going to collect records. Like, 
yeah, I guess so because I collected comics and I got and then I ended up selling all my comics all except for certain things. Um, but and um, I don't I think I own like maybe ten comics now or something. But like, um, yeah, and it kind of just like morphed into like I just got really interested in music, um, like really deep into it. I went to every show I could, you know, whether it was in a club. And even back then, like, clubs like Cat's Cradle, I went there a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it wasn't, like, a house show or in a warehouse Is that North Carolina? It's in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. Carborough. But originally it was in Chapel Hill. And they, like, back then they didn't, like, even 18 and plus shows, like, you know, I'm, like, 15, 16. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't seem to care. Like, they just let me in. Mm-hmm. They let all of my friends in. Like, they just literally did not care. They just, like, you know, back then. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Things were looser then. Yeah. They were very loose. So, what were the bands then that that you were going to see? Like in, uh, like were they national bands or were they local bands around? Oh, like everything. Uh, you know, saw, you know, went to see Fugazi. You know, and uh, I saw uh, Sebado actually opened for Fugazi one time, mm-hmm. which was like talking about the meld going on back yeah. then, where like it was like that's a normal thing. Sebado opening up for you know Fugazi. You know, but I saw, like, Nation of Lissies or whatever and Born Against, and those were all, like, you know, uh, a lot of house shows and mm-hmm. stuff. But then I also saw, you know, like, Nirvana, you mm-hmm. know, and um, I saw a lot of really I, – I, I even went to see Royal Trucks play, you know. There was, like, Royal ten trucks. people there or something. But I was so into it because I love Pussy Galore, you know, mm-hmm. which is – I don't know. Just thinking about, like, now, like, all this weird stuff I like – not normal stuff a kid likes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'd say I like bought everything. Like, uh, you know, like if it was in Thrasher. And I remember there was even an ad in Thrasher for uh, Pussy Galore right now when it came out. And I went and got the cassette. Mm-hmm. But there was, uh, in Danville, there were two record stores in the mall. And one was called Camelot Music. And the other one was uh, called Sound Shop. Mm-hmm. And there was this guy, uh, David Reynolds, that worked at Sound Shop. And he actually, I think he still lives in Richmond, but. He was like kind of the buyer there, and he had this mm-hmm. section called Imports that he mm-hmm. made, which wasn't really Imports. It was just was like obscure, Black Flag Records. Right? <laughs> it was just obscure, like underground right. stuff. And and you know, I'd go through and I'm like, what is this stuff? You know, but like I'd buy stuff, and you know, I remember getting like a Pussy Galore cassette, you know, which was weird. And who all was in um, Pussy Galore? That was John Sp- John Spencer, Spencer and- yeah, Neil Haggerty, and so it was kind of like half Royal Trucks, half Blues Explosion. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, but uh, ro- yeah, I just like I went to see Royal Trucks, you know, as a as a kid. And basically. they ended up. I was remembering it. Uh, Blues Explosion kind of kept on, you know, being productive. But Royal Trucks was intermittently productive. That yeah, point. I think and it was a lot of his drugs. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like John Spencer is actually a pretty together guy. I mean, mm-hmm. there's still a band, you know. Like, yeah, they still play. But like, yeah, I think that drugs kind of. Well, there's a story Royal at Matador Trucks. that they they gave them money to make a record royal trucks to make a record for matador and they just kept com- calling and asking for more money and do- making no record oh yeah so they ended up on drag city after that i think or yeah they're they on drag well yeah they're on drag city and then um then they got on a major label and i think they took all the advance money and spent it all on drugs and recorded the whole record on a four track right. <laughs> which is fine Brilliant. too cuz it probably sound i mean it's actually a good sound sounds like what they too. wanted to sound like yeah, yeah. exactly so that you know that's the thing it's like is that the did you, did you hear that record? That's that the one with Deep Country Sorcerer on it or something? It's like came out in like, like the late nineties, maybe. Uh, but, or, 
Well, th- is maybe that with thank you or something? Because that's the one I was I was talking about. But I don't much. remember. But weirdly, we were talking about. I Southern think after thank you, I didn't pay attention to them anymore. Yeah, I don't know any of them by name, but I remember uh, when I we were just talking about when I lived in Southern California. I lived in, a, in an industrial park, and there was a studio down at the end of the industrial park, and the chick from Royal Trucks was like shacking up with the dude who had the studios. She was just right down the parking lot from oh, me for yeah. a year. Jennifer or something Jennifer, like that. Yeah. yeah. So how did you get from Danville to... Did you go to VCU? I went to VCU. Yeah. yeah. What did you come here for? Uh, for? Oh, I was in the painting and printmaking department. Yeah. I, I, I actually was into... Well, I was into comics, obviously. And then, like, of course, because of that, like, I was into drawing. And, like, I used to draw my own comics and stuff. And so I got really into illustration. And, you know, I thought, like, I'm going to come to VCU and become an illustrator. And then I realized, like, oh, there's, like, a thousand other people don't want to do that, too. And I'm not as good as they are. <laughs> <laughs> but then I got into painting and printmaking, which I kind of hated because I really wanted to be an illustration. And uh, but, but the but rules kept, weren't as lax or were more – the standards were laxer uh, for painting and printmaking. Yeah, you didn't definitely. Have to be I mean, to pretty much, that's pretty much <laughs> the dumping ground of, like, you're not very good at this, this, or this. So we're putting you in painting and printmaking. Mm-hmm. Then I kind of got into film, and there wasn't really the film department when I was there. But when did you? When were you at VCU? Well, ninety it was ninety two to ninety six. Yeah, we were so there at the same time. Probably about the same time. Did you yeah. take Coppage's fiction in the film class? Yeah, mm-hmm. from Eden to the Wasteland. But probably after you did. I had it. I took it in. Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah, I took it in ninety one. Yeah, ninety no. ninety one, something like that. Yeah, no, this was like probably ninety five or six. Do you remember that class? That was a I do. Pretty awesome class. Yeah. That um, I took, yeah, and there, and there was this um great class that just got offered to, at one point it was like and it was like called surrealism in film, mm-hmm. and it was pretty neat. Who taught that one? And that was um, uh, Jones. Jones. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Did you take the Havens comic book class? Was that available I, at I that didn't. point? I think yeah. I think it. No, I don't think it was actually. I don't think it was at that point. Um, I mean he was around. Mm-hmm. Um. But Jones, Jones was cool because uh, I had his friend EJ, and he, he used to tell us, like, hey, you guys can, if you want to, sneak a beer in during the films. And oh, so wow. we would do that. Yeah. Into, into the <laughs> new academic building? To, is it that where it was? In, yeah. No, it was in the, uh, I forget. It was like, I forget. It was like one of the old buildings. On, it was like one of the big, you know, obviously like. Uh, business building? The business building. Yeah, yeah. Exactly they did that. I was yeah. to kill a mockingbird there when I was a kid. So how did all of your, your art and your comic book and music interest uh, converge. Did they converge at VCU with you? Did you start playing in bands at, at that point? Yeah, or? well, I was playing in bands in high school, and I really, yeah, I just started, and I kind of taught myself, you know, to play. Like, I, I was, I was sort of like around fourteen. I was like, sort of like, I'd like to learn to play drums, you mm-hmm. know. And I think my mom found some like old this this dude that used to be in like country bands around the area selling his drum kit and uh-huh. he probably sold like you know, 200 bucks mm-hmm. or something so i had this really nice old ludwig drum kit and i kind of was like trying to teach myself to play drums and that and eventually it was rough you know like i just sort of you know but but i started playing with people and that helped me you know mm-hmm. even though it was really bad i started getting a little bit better and i started getting pretty good at drums uh i guess you know for self-taught or whatever and then like but then i sort of was like i'm like i'm really in, into playing guitar and then i kind of taught myself to play guitar mm-hmm. poorly but you know <laughs> but i still you know like i you know i'm more of a rhythm guitar player but uh 
but yeah, like, and then, um, and then I just kind of end up by default becoming a bass player because people come asking for bass, and I'm like, eh, I can play bass, I play guitar. So, you know. so is that the thing that you've stuck with the longest? Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. You know, I gotta say, I didn't, I really didn't know you played bass until I was watching that uh, Onion AV Club Ramones cover. Oh, yeah. Ted, so how long you been? Did you? I mean, we're gonna have to jump back, but how long you been? Is that a regular thing you're playing with Ted Leo, or is that just that for that? Yeah, actually, it's uh, no, I've been playing with them. Um, I mean, we actually put our record on Matador, you know, uh, three years ago now at this point, um, or two and a half years ago, and uh, yeah, no, I've been playing with them like now, I guess uh, six years, so. Yeah, you know, it's been a while. So I'm, you know, I'm pretty much in the band. I did quit for a little while, and then I rejoined. So <laughs> I, I quit. I quit for about I don't know six months, and then mm-hmm. ended up back in the band. So. so let's back back up to the VCU days of college. And so first band you were in in VC, in those days in college? Oh, in college. Oh, uh, the first band was Bad Guy Reaction. Was the name of the band? Bad Guy Reaction. It was called Bad Guy Reaction. What was named that after like? Resilio song? Um, and we were just like you know you're a punk band, mm-hmm. we were just, you know, we and we had it was a four piece and kind of but I think every member of the band kind of had a different background and like what he wanted to sound like. Mm-hmm. Although we were all very much like we're gonna start a punk band, or right? But the drummer's really into like ride, uh-huh. you know, and like <laughs> you know like like or an oasis and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And um, it was like this was like. You know, end of ninety two, ninety three. I think we lasted until about maybe ninety four. Such a big umbrella, man. I mean, it's like uh, some guy wants to be in a punk band and he wants to play like Greg Ginn. Another guy wants to, like myself, wants to be in a punk band, wants to play like Johnny Ramone, just like power chords all downstroke, you know. And so you don't necessarily, ta- you're not necessarily talking about the same thing, right? Yeah. Know? Well, our, the other guitar player was like, I, I mean, I and at that point I was really, really into like Jawbreaker and and like a lot of Lookout stuff, like mm-hmm. Crimp Shrine and. Like almost pop punky kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but very sing along kind of pop punky stuff. And you know, I was getting really into that. And the other guitar player was like straight up like seventy seven, like you know, British punk rocker. Mm-hmm. Like just like he he wanted to sound like Sham sixty nine essentially. Yeah, you know? it was like his whole thing. And a bass player, I think, was like more uh, gelled with me, you know, on that side. But you know, but it was like like I, I still like. One day, uh, someone gave me the old demo tape we recorded, and I listened to it, and, and I, I just was like, oh, this is going to be a mess. Why am I going to listen to this? But I was like, like, it's pretty good, but you could tell, like, the drummer definitely is like... Everybody's in a different band. Everyone's <laughs> in a different band, but somehow it works yeah. in a weird way. It was it's not very good, but it was like... Well, that's the weird thing about was, punk. I mean, really, now, I mean, you know, we think it's 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 this blanket thing, punk and punk rock, and like you said, this is an attitude, but then over the years of it existing as a thing that's been labeled... It's encompassed so many different guitar styles and so many different, you know, types of rock and roll that it's it's a really diverse thing. It's, it's extremely diverse. And, and, you know, it's actually kind of tough to find bands that, like, have that many influences. Because most bands now are kind of like, no, we want to sound like 77. They pick British something punk. specific. Descendants. Yeah, you and, know, it's like or, that, and right. Descendants, like, you're like, that's how we have to sound. Yeah. And then you have, like, weird bands, like, you know... Yeah, I think like it hit like the late '90s where a lot of bands were coming up, and like they 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 had that thing where like yeah, there was an amalgam of sounds, like mm-hmm. at the drive-in, for instance, or something right. where it's like literally sounds like 
like they took like 20 different bands and put it together yeah. into one band, you know? And, mm-hmm. and and I think people at that point realize like, oh, you can do that. And sometimes yeah. it works, you know? And like, well, it's pretty ironic that something that was started to kind of free people up even from discipline or skill to just, you know, get right at the idea, like just come right out and play. Don't don't practice somebody else's style. Don't you right. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Just get together. It becomes I, extremely fucking regimented. Well, that's what it, yeah. back our reaction was like sort of like that, I guess, in a weird way. I mean, I mean, it was a stupid Richmond punk band, but like, you know, we did take like so many different styles and we were kind of like and, you know, it was like whatever I was listening to that week, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I lo- writes the spring. Oh, I, we weren't we should write a song like that or, we should, mm-hmm. you know. And it always would end up sounding like something else. You know? Right. It would just end up sounding like kind of like some weird pop punk song or something. It would be impossible to completely duplicate what you were trying to. No, it's impossible. <laughs> you know, especially like, yeah, trying to sound like Rice of Spring. I mean, you can't do that. But, but you know, but you'd be influenced by it. But, you know, a week later, I would listen to um, whatever, like the honor roll record or something, mm-hmm. or I'd listen to, you know, you know, just, I, I would listen to like lots of different things. And every week, I want to sound. Something different. Who were your that, favorites around then? Like uh, you mentioned, Honor Roll. They they were already probably broken up long before. They had already broken up. I saw them one time. They played this one reunion show um, that I saw at the, I guess downstairs Metro, mm-hmm. which I guess was Rockets or whatever. Right. And like they had played this reunion show, and I saw that when I first moved to Richmond. And um, but I love them. And uh, another thing about being in Danville is like. There was a place, Camelot Music, I mentioned earlier, and they had this amazing cutout bin of LPs and cassettes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was really amazing. Like, and everything was like a quarter, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just got so many amazing records, and, so, and it was because nobody like, else wanted them. Nobody right, else wanted them, right. so my friends and I would just go in there and just buy. Because I mean, it was just like, and we had ton, they had like ten copies of like certain things, you know, like beat happening cassettes and stuff, and, and there were a quarter, so we just go in there and buy. All, like everything, it didn't matter what it was, you know. Mm-hmm. Just be like, oh yeah, throw down ten bucks and you get like a gazillion records, yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah. one time. And I remember getting like an Effigies record, you know, you know, for a quarter, and like tons of like old thrash stuff for mm-hmm. a quarter, you know, like the Beowulf records, just, just <laughs> whatever, you know, because it was a quarter and it was cool, you know. It's just, you know, it was great and so many amazing cassettes. But I learned a lot from that, just that, you know, like finding all this stuff, like um, Homestead stuff, and that's where I originally had yeah. gotten. Honor Roll Rictus because it was like a cutout cassette. Mm-hmm. Um, oh no, actually it was a cutout LP, and uh, I was just kind of like, "Oh, this looks really cool," you know. And then, you know, it's funny that you know years later it's like I work with those guys, yeah. And, you know, and Doug Doby designed the covers, like doing covers for you know like our record label here at the store and stuff. And, oh yeah, is that right? I just yeah. I just met him recently at that Keep Keepone show over here mm-hmm. at Gallery Five, and I. I've known his name for a long time, knew his face, but I, I didn't have a context for him. Which is, I mean, one of the reasons I'm doing this with you is, like, I, I've i known you as a DJ, and I've known you as a guy who knows a lot about records. And you used to work at Plan 9, yeah, right? Yeah, I worked at Plan 9. Yeah, and um, yet I know there's so much more you got going on than yeah. that. Do you own, are you part, you own this store? Or are you? I'm part owner, yeah. 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 yeah it's, uh, it, it's me and my friend uh, Drew, mm-hmm. and we both own it, so... And do you have something similar to uh, uh, Camp? Was it wasn't Camp? Was it Camelot or the other place that had the cutout bin? And oh, Camelot like had the cutout bin. Yeah. And sound Sound Shop was like the place that had like the weird dude working there. Like he's not weird, <laughs> but, but you know the the guy was kind of like, oh, so is he? You're interested in that kind of music, you know? Let me turn you on to this. Yeah, you know? yeah. 
And I ended up working with him at Grace Place. This old, you know, you well, yeah, Grace the Place? vegetarian yeah. restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I ended up working with him there, you know, and it's like, what I'm was like, his name? Uh, Dave Reynolds. I know that name. He was I in mean, a band called Ugly Head. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I knew and, him, and because Patrick also worked there. Uh, yeah, yeah, Patrick, Patrick Wheeler, we lived yeah. at Best, right? Yeah. We lived together on Parkwood when he was working at Grace Place. He was a baker. Oh uh, right, yeah, yeah. Were they Pelt before Ugly Head together? They were. Band? Well, it was Ugly Head originally, and then Pelt was already a band. And I think Pat and Jack Rose had joined Pelt later on. Like, like Pelt was kind Pelt of was more like straight a, ahead, like uh, almost a, a an indie. They were like an indie of, rock right. band, basically. I mean, it was like it was very like kind of like that typical indie sound, like with the simple machines, right. kind of northern and like verse chorus verse kind of everything. things going on, and then Ugly Head mm-hmm. sort of. Yeah, and Ugly Head was just a noisy mess. Right, and they moved into Pelt, cool. and Pelt became that. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and then Pelt became, yeah, exactly, that's what happened. I think, like, the you know, they just wanted to change direction, and they did abruptly change, you know. Mm-hmm. And Pelt's still playing, you know. Which is yeah, I visited Patrick in uh, um, Wisconsin, where he's living now, in a really small old dairy town out yeah. there. And they came to Minneapolis and played with Daughters of the Sun, at, but not as Pelt as Spiral Joy Band, which is pretty... Oh, right, right. It's yeah. like they got a bunch... It's like they got a bunch of different names for the same thing. But same it was thing, it was yeah. all squeeze boxes and shit. They were yeah. all playing crazy psychedelic stuff on squeeze boxes. Awesome. But Patrick went from being like a um, also a Nation of Ulysses guy and... All oh, that yeah, yeah, totally. He w- no shape or form. Yeah, no, he was very in, into the DC scene, you know. Yeah. yeah, Grace Place was a good place to work too. Like, too bad it's gone. It's like I met so many people, like like Pat. Like I didn't mm-hmm. know him before because he's older than I am, you know. And I was like a kid working there, and like, you know, and he knew so much about music and what was going on in DC at the time, you know. And I was like, I was into the DC stuff. Man. Yeah, he, like knew a lot about the older stuff mm-hmm. and older hardcore bands and stuff. And um, yeah, he's a cool guy. So the the first band, uh, God, I forgot the name of it already. I'm spacing the um, <laughs> oh, bad guy reaction, bad guy reaction. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna edit that because I don't like sounding stupid. Um, bad guy reaction. Uh, then what? What? How far did that go? And oh well, I, yeah, we kind of imploded and exploded uh, one night, and then uh, that ended uh, abruptly, and then. Um, we had released a demo cassette, and that's all we had. Um, and then after that, I guess I kind of just didn't, like, I didn't do anything really besides, like, you know, I'd play with various people, just, keep, you know, just jamming or whatever. And then I ended up in this band, Young Pioneers. Oh, yeah. In 95. Fred Lapeer. Yeah, and Fred was in it. He was the, he was our actually our third drummer, you know, in the band, but... um. He he was in the tail end. Free the young pioneers. Free, yeah, he's on that album. That's yeah. when I first encountered you because that's like punchline era. Yeah, it's like definitely punchline. Late nineties. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was probably okay. always coming up there trying to be like, hey, why don't you plug our show? Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote a review of one of those records for oh, Punchline. I think I remember that. I probably still have it somewhere. It's fresh out of working in indie rock, so lots of smarm and uh, sarcasm. <laughs> of and, course, but yeah. I liked that yeah. that record. Yeah, so. That's what I did, ninety five to ninety eight. How, how the young pioneers tour around, um, just this area? They get. We did no. We did a lot of touring. I mean, we never left the country, um, but like we we toured. We did a lot of U.S. tours. I mean, I 
I think we did at least five or so, four or five U.S. tours during that whole time. Did tons of like, you know, small tours, just like weekend jaunts and stuff. But mm-hmm. we 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 definitely toured a lot. I mean, we we were on the road a whole bunch. And, label? Were you on a label? Yeah, yeah, we did. We were on we were on a local label called Vermiform for the first few records, and then we ended up on uh, Lookout Records in California. Mm-hmm. And uh, which at the time was actually pretty big because they had all this Green Day money, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. And so they were just like signing whoever, you know. And they they signed us, and we were excited because they gave us a budget to record with. And so you know, we're like, I remember wow. Young Pioneers as being a sort of a classic kind of a sound. Uh, was that more of a, a congealed genre um, thing for you guys? Was it tongue in cheek? Was it what was the approach? No, it was. Uh, well, you know, most of that was like uh, Adam, the guitar player, is kind of doing. Like, I think he he was in this band Born Against, which is just you know, kind of a post post hardcore. Tell band. me about Born Against a little bit. They were being name dropped in this article I just read about. Um, Richmond's metal scene. Oh yeah, Richmond's metal scene. Oh yeah, because I think Eric Larson was mentioning them. Um, yeah, they were. I mean, they were just like a New York hardcore band, but, but they, they were, ended up here. They for... ended up here. They moved here. Mm-hmm. They kinda, they kind of moved here just because like people in New York just started to hate them, you know, because they were just so outspoken. Yeah. And uh, was Javier? Was there a dude named Javier? Yeah, there, Javier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, Javier was the bass player. Mm-hmm. I knew him in New York, and he yeah. was, and I don't know if he, he didn't make that move. With those guys, he stayed up there and did cattle press or some. He did shit. cattle press, yeah. yeah. He, um, yeah, he left the band before. They had a lot of members. By the end of it, uh, they had this guy Brooks who ended up in Young Pioneers with with us too. Um, he he played drums, and they had this guy Tony Joy in Baltimore playing bass. But they went through. The, pretty much the core was always Adam uh, and this guy Sam McFeeders. Like they were always the core guys in the band. And, um, yeah, eventually they just moved down here and broke up. And then Adam just, I think, wanted to do something completely different, you know, wipe the slate. And so he kind of got just – he was more into, like, doing something kind of almost folky, mm-hmm. you know, um, more like early rock and roll and folk, you know, but just do it so it's punky sounding, mm-hmm. you know. You know, and um, that's just kind of like the young pioneer sound. It became just like really dirty. Now he used to sing through like just the most like fucked up mics he could find. <laughs> like it has a thing called the silver bullet mic, which is like uh-huh. a harmonica mic. Uh-huh. But it's uh, it's made for harmonica, you know, it's not made for human voice, but it's like, it's, you know, he used that. I want to hear some of, of that shit now, man. That sounds really, and, is it uh, around? Can, can you, get, do you have some down? Yeah. I'll yeah. give you a CD after I've got we a whole box hooked, of CDs downstairs. I'm really? Yeah. I can, I can we should have hooked some. it up and played some music. Yeah. During this, oh well, I think that's the only thing I have down there. But like, uh, you have a record player, right? Uh huh. Okay, I'll give you a single too. But um, so speaking of record players, I was looking through my shit for whatever Richmond seven inches I have, and I have a hose got cable seven inch, and only half. It's a double seven inch, but only half okay. of it. And you're oh, dressed up as Captain America on the cover. Is that you? No, that's not me. That's, oh. uh, uh, this is guy Chris. Um, yeah, oh, Chris Vasia. Chris Vasia. Why yeah. did I think were you? What did, did you have anything to do with that band? No, no. I, I saw them a whole lot. But Maybe I'm it. connecting you to it because I tried to sell you that record at Plan 9, <laughs> and you said it's missing one. <laughs> oh, it's missing one of the records. But maybe, maybe that's what you That did. is what happened. That is, that's it, why I'm connecting yep. you to that record. Yep. Okay. All right, so Young Pioneers. Mm-hmm. After that, 
Um, oh well, Young Pioneers. After Young Pioneers broke up, yeah, and then I kind of just went through this, yeah, period, another period of just kind of like jamming with people, or whatever. But nothing really gelled. And actually, I did have a, it was a whole desert of <laughs> non musical things going on. Like I, um, I guess like I did this little band here called Trixie Delicious and the Lot Lizards oh, for a yeah. little while. Yeah, and it was uh, and uh, my friend Shane. Uh, I remember that band, yeah. yeah. And uh, and we were just kind of like cow punk sort of drag. He we were called it Dragabilly because he was a drag queen, right? And so right. It was called Dragabilly or whatever. But we played a lot of like fun Holy shows, shit, played I DC, played that was a, I enjoyed that band a lot. Yeah, that was a fun band. You know, and it's funny because uh, Drew, my friend Drew, the other day just texted me out of the blue. It was like, why don't you get Trixie Delicious a lot losers back together? Again. Shane's still fun. around. Shane lives in New York now. Yeah. That's weird. I just now, did. You guys like have anything to do with? Do you ever play with Toilet Boys, or did you know they were doing that, or is it just a coincidence that it was just a coincidence? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because um, they were one of my favorite New York bands at the time that I was. Up yeah, there. I, I think Shane was totally aware of all that, but mm-hmm. you know, um, but we were doing it a different way. They were a little bit you more guys were trashy uh, rock and roll, and we were right. like a little bit more. It was it was definitely like a little bit more rockabilly ish, but more just. It was definitely punky rockabilly, you know. Like was uh, God, I can't remember his name now. Um, that is lame that I can't remember his name. Long hair, sideburns. Uh, oh, also, Greg Darden. Yes, did he play drums? He did play drums for yeah, a while. Band, yeah, that was another band where it's just like, Shane and I were always the core people, and we went through like a million different people in the band, just like a rotating cast of characters. That was a good time, hole in the wall, seeing you guys. Yeah, that yeah. was really fun, and we did that for a little while, and. Um, I ended up touring with some bands. My I, brain is fried, dude. You've been in a lot of bands, and I've uh, I, I've remembered you in these bands, but like you just became a DJ in my head at some point. Yeah, that, well, that was you know, yeah, just by default, I became a DJ because I I started DJing with my friend Troy, and we were just like we kind of met each other because we both. What's like, Troy's last name? Hurt. Yeah, he lived downstairs from me, and our mailboxes were side by side. Oh, it was hurt right. and pain. Hurt and pain. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that now. See, it's all coming that back. That awesome, right, right. It's, good. it's been a long time, man. we got to yeah. get the juices flowing. Yeah, I think, like, we, like, I started just getting to buying, like, Soul 45s. I'm not sure what compelled me to do it, but mm-hmm. I was just like, I was like, oh, this is really cool. This is, like, you know, around 97, 98, and I would mm-hmm. just go to Plan 9 and just go through, like, the bins of, like, cheap 45s or whatever. Yeah. And then I remember Greg Darden was like, oh, you should meet my friend Troy because he's into this stuff, too. And I did, and we started just hanging out. And then Ipanema opened, and we started doing, like, a DJ night there, you know. Right. And, and so then the flood of, like, offers of, like, hey, do you want to DJ a wedding? Do you want to do DJ this? you want to DJ mm-hmm. that? And, like, we started just DJing all this stuff, like, all of a sudden and, and by default. Became, became a thing. A thing and a DJ, <laughs> you know. like I Did didn't you have a name for it? To. Did you have a, a DJ? Um, kind of- uh, no, I never had a name. Well, we, Troy and I were called the, are called the Scorpio brothers. Okay. That's like our thing. Cause we're both Scorpios, mm-hmm. you know, it's dumb. And that was the first thing <laughs> that popped in our head. But like, uh, but yeah, no, I never had like a real DJ name. Like some people are like DJ Marty violence, which is my goofy. That's name, yes. So. That's what I'm remembering. Um, so you never, you didn't self apply the Marty violence. No, I just tell people like you can use that or just be like, where did DJ that come Marty. from? I, um, uh, Sam McFeeders actually, I guess one day just came like he doesn't, he claims to not remember this, but I do remember that he named me Marty Vines cause he thought it was funny, you know, cause he's just ironic like, perhaps. Cause yeah. Just ironic. Violent. Cause yeah. Just like, it's like, I'm going to call you Marty violence. 
I'm like, okay. Who's and this then Adam Sam? started doing that. Oh, Sam's a, he was a singer of uh, Born Against okay. and Men's Recovery Project. And you can go ahead, like, you know, f- flesh it out like you're talking to children that know nothing about Oh, yeah, Born sorry. Against I mean, I, yeah. I know. <laughs> well, let me tell you. Because uh, no, um, I am kind of like a child in that respect. I, I really missed, like, you know, I, I interviewed Taylor Steele a while ago, and people oh, were talking about that. I just totally, <laughs> I really just missed this. And I was talking to Goldberg about this, John Goldberg, today, and I was like, you know, he and I were going all of the shows, that, my earliest shows in, on Gray Street at, like, Jade Elephant Metro and all that together. Mm-hmm. Never went to anything like that. And I was like, why didn't we go to those shows? What was going on? And he was like, well, because there was a lot of dudes from the suburbs getting in fights there. There's a lot of bullshit going on in the parking lot. There's just like a oh, yeah. fucked up scene. Oh, God. And yeah, yeah. I was like, I thought there was a reason why I wasn't going anywhere near that. But yeah, it's it just like thuggery. You want to just yeah, stay away from it. The muscle head thing that Lester Bangs was talking about. Yep. There. Yeah, testosterone. Mm-hmm. Muscle heads. Yeah, but I'm in a room with some loud music and... It's an excuse to, like, attack people and shit. And, like, I remember going to, like, I was just starting to kind of get interested in being in the pit because a lot of the shows I went to, there was a pit, but it was a very chill, fun, you know, people are banging into each other, but nobody's trying to hurt anybody. And then I would wind up at some warehouse party and there'd be some, like, frat guys there that were using this as an excuse to donkey punch people and, like... Oh, you know, course, yeah. elbow people in the head and shit. And well, they weren't with, with into hardcore, that scene though, or, I mean, you have to think, like, a lot of hardcore is, like, you know, those guys were, like, totally, you know, sober, stone-cold sober. And right. Going, and basically, you just want to go fight. Yeah. You know, a lot of straight-edge shows were like that. I'm sure Taylor can, you know. Well, that's the thing. You know, that. I didn't even delve that deep into it when, when I was talking to him about it. And I went back and was looking at all these pictures. And, like, the picture I used, he has on, like, one of those African medallions, you know. And, like, the guys in the band are wearing Tams and stuff. And, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. So they themselves were very, like, multi-culty and very forward-thinking and very open and stuff. But there was just a lot of people in those audiences that were just fucking assholes. Well, like, you can look one way. I mean, think of Bad Brains. Like, mm-hmm. you can look one way. And play a different type of music and you get a totally different crowd. So right. you can look like a bunch of Rastafarians. Right. But does it mean that you're gonna bring a lot of Rastafarians to your show if you're playing like really fast hardcore? Right. <laughs> you know, so um, Yeah, but that I mean I so like I, I just say that because I really managed I'm mean, I'm no expert on anything, but I'm I'm fairly literate in the Richmond music scene, but I never saw any of those shows and I wasn't aware of I mean I was aware that Four Walls Falling existed because mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Kenny Wagner, who was a friend of mine, and he played with. Oh, them he was for in the band for a while. Yeah. yeah, and so I'd heard them talked about, but uh, and Born Against, I knew about them when I got to New York and I met Javier because he was friends with a bunch of people up there. Just totally missed it, right? So, but you were fairly immersed. Yeah, in like yeah. a veil and Four Walls Falling, Inquisition. Those were all bands at the time, you know, that were pretty popular. I one of the reasons I moved to Richmond. Uh, or went to VCU because I could have gone to Savannah um, was because of Ale were from here and Born Against had moved here and you know I remember just like looking at MRR and like talking about moving to Richmond I was like whoa like Born Against are there and like you know what was it about all those bands? I mean, there was uh, that appealed to you. I mean, there's level, there's politics for some people. There's I, I guess like the politics, straight edge but, vegan like yeah I guess it's just like you know like. If, forward thinking they seem i mean of course then you meet the guys and you're like oh boy man these guys are actually a bunch of long kids i'm mm-hmm. not even kidding man. <laughs> but like uh, no that's okay to well share. maybe some of them are long kids but uh but like yeah i mean yeah it's just like i you know i started getting 
kind of political, like pseudo, you know, just sort of like, you know, think, you know, I'm like, pseudo PC okay, radical I'm, I'm kind growing, of political. Yeah, well, the, the whole PC thing kind of ruined the whole generation of people like me, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's too sensitive, I think. But, like, um, it's so sensitive you can't even actually talk about it. I can't even talk about at it at all. Yeah, right. No, yeah. I mean, you know, Riot Girl scared the living shit out of me, you know, like, <laughs> literally did. Yes. And uh, it was scary, you know. It was like all of a sudden you were like the scum of the planet. Yeah. Know? It actually made you feel that way. Yeah. Although I liked all those bands. And you know what? Later on, I became friends with all of them. And in fact, I play on a Bratmobile album. But at the time, Which you, you know, bring up a very I good point. Bratmobile, but they scared the shit out of me. <laughs> you bring up a very good point is that a lot, I think a lot of people were, were expressing their, you know, I don't know, their awkward like post high school, college, and then maybe dropping out of college or not going to college thing by saying, you know, I'm for this and I'm against all this other shit and like just fucking huge generalizations, just lumping all, you know, all men in one category, like all, you know, and it's, I I mean, it really did a number on me for a long time because I wanted to be like a, a, you know, a good feminist, like, you know, open-minded guy, but like I'm the bad guy. But all of a sudden it made made you (laughs) feel like you were the bad guy, Mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, yeah, it kind of like the, the dating scene. So I'm not allowed to be attracted to a girl (laughs) and want to have sex with her. That's not okay. (laughs) Yeah. It was pretty interesting time. Um, you know, it it, it was something that probably just like any other movement needed to happen, you Mm -hmm. know, just to bring any kind of awareness. But, you know, it's like, and, and I guess like, in theory, it did a lot of good, you know, right. it got, it, it kind of made like, it really opened up the world, you know, to, to people, you know, cause yeah, like it's by the late nineties or late eighties. I mean, like things were getting like, it was just a bunch of thugs in a pit, you know, mm-hmm. like that was kind of music that was happening. You yeah. Know? And if it wasn't that, it was just a bunch of long hair Seattle types. And right. So just, who liked to jump was, around and jump off the stage? Right. And all so that. whatever you know, like Riot Girl was actually a very fresh thing, regardless. Mm-hmm. And it was probably something, even though it scared the bejesus out of me. And like, you know, it's just like it also was very fascinating. And I bought all those records, you know, mm-hmm. like because I was like really like and would you so would, being supportive and also just being sort of like like wow, this would is, you put Babes really in cool, Toyland you know? in that category? Were they kind of pre dated? They were I guess. they were pre, but I mean like L Seven and Babes in Toyland were definitely kind of like. Got ended up lumped into that, you know, mm-hmm. scene in like um, Bays and Toyland, especially. But yeah. I saw them play at, at Chris Bobes and Jim Thompson lived on Cherry Street. Oh, wow. I yeah. think they lived together, or one of them lived in that house, but they had a house party and those, they played in the living room there. It's pretty amazing. I didn't know they were a national band at the time, but, you know, everything else, politics, all that stuff, I didn't know anything about it. I just knew there was a really interesting looking woman screaming and playing guitar. Right, in yeah. Front of me. And they were—they seemed like a band that wasn't part of the punk scene, but they, I mean, they ultimately were. You know, they were definitely in that scene. You know, one iteration of it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, but you know, I—I I say I really like, gravitated towards that sort of thing, like the Sonic Youth and the Dinosaur Junior uh, expression of it. I liked the noise, and I liked the kind of the damage and the anger, and yet there was melodic stuff in there. It was a little depressing. It was a little romantic. Yeah. I guess yeah. I was, you know, I like as I got older, you know. Of course, that's what I would rather listen to now. But even back then, you know, I was into the yeah, the more melodic things. Like, I mean, there's only so much you could do with three or four chords, you know. Right. But, you know, going really fast. But I mean, right. I'd say like, you know, even at that, it was like it's fun to play it, you know. Um, but yeah, 
you know, a lot of the, the punk bands, you know, I get tired of the hardcore stuff and I was kind of like more into like, you know, like, oh, the Laughing Hyenas are playing next mm-hmm. week, though. That's cool, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, going a lot of different directions with that. Yeah, because that, that was another thing I guess I didn't like about hardcore then was that it was so monochromatic to me. It was just, you know, one, two, one, two, one, two, really, really fucking fast. Yeah. And the songs were maybe a minute and a half or yeah. two minutes. But for um, my attention span, that was really good back yeah. then, too, at the same time. <laughs> you know? And also, it seemed like the faster you go, you know? I, just, I had uh, my uh, I had a, this friend, Brendan, and we would try to find, like, the, the... We just would literally try to find the thrashiest band with the shortest... You know, we were both, like, in the Napalm Death, too, mm-hmm. and, like, you know, Scum was, like, mm-hmm. the ultimate, like, there's, like, 58 songs on this mm-hmm, album, you mm-hmm. know? Like... So we just try to find like the fastest stuff we could just because we were like it's an anal cunt kind of thing. Yeah, just like a, yeah, exactly. Just know? a scream and then it's yeah, over. Yeah, just a scream and it's over or whatever. <laughs> and we were like had this contest of finding like the most brutal sounding like. And so there, there's something to say for that, but um, I'm attracted to that side of it. But I, yeah, I really didn't like. I mean. I guess that's the weird thing about like the eighties and nineties. I mean, like for me coming to VCU was this like I I got I grew up in Churchill, but then I'd gone to the West End to go to a private school because the public schools were looking so bad and got really oppressed, you know, and fit into a mold. It's not totally, but you know, a lot more like pressured, you know, peer wise to look and, and act a certain way. And us right. Churchill boys were actually bringing something out there. Like we were the first ones to introduce Public Enemy and. Uh, Beastie Boys and shit to those well, that, kids yeah, out there. Yeah, th- that's another aspect of it. You know, like my friends and I were really into De La Soul and Public Enemy and, and Jungle Brothers. And, you know, we owned all those records. That too. was way more what I was leaning into at that time than. Yeah. And that's probably Churchill influence. Because that was you know? like the, some of the punkiest stuff you could find, you know, especially right. Public Enemy. I mean, that was like when that came out, it was like, what the hell? You yeah, know, it was like, scary like almost. Militanized. Right? Like, like, it was like everything I actually would want, though, like in, in a band. I'm like, wow, it's like these guys are like militants and they're talking about some real shit <laughs> you know they have people on stage that are like sold their soldiers you know yeah it was really and badass like, and it was really smart and and like and, and it really had a point behind it and i felt like you know I, I come out of that oppression of like marymount you know west end to come into vcu and i was like wow i can just do anything i want to i can be anybody i want except for like it, around the hardcore straight edge kids who are like you know we don't drink we don't do this we right. don't do that and and we're almost like enforcing that with like intimidation, and that was my impression of yeah. it. Then it wasn't uh, an inviting scene. But, no, no, definitely. But not. But you came here for that. I yeah. well, I did sort of. I mean, Avail was a little bit different, though. I mean, it was like you had that aspect of it, but it wasn't like it wasn't like straight. It wasn't like you were going to see like you know side by side or something <laughs> or like Gorilla Biscuits or something. It's like you know you were you know it's like it was. Um, yeah, it was, but it was like all this camaraderie. It was like it was kind of peaceful, and like it was nothing like going into a room with like a thousand other people that were just, you know, you had the, the kids who wanted to start fights or mm-hmm. whatever. But it was like, you know, tables set up with like fanzines and people selling back patches and stuff. And I mean, that sounds corny, but like it was uh, like you you felt I felt like I was at home. Like mm-hmm. I was like, wow, these people think like I do. They have all this great stuff, like all this information, and like. I could buy it or giving it away, mm-hmm. you know, like you really felt like you were part of something. Did you feel like not part? I mean, besides the skaters in Danville, did you feel like you're not part of, were you alienated 
at all? Like, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it was kind of weird. It, it was really intimidating to be from Danville and go to, like, shows, like, say, go see Fugazi, and there's, like, you know, 1,500 kids there at the skate park where there used to be a skate park uh, in these warehouses in, in uh, Greensboro, and, um, you know, and they would have, like, shows, and, and, and there were also, at the same time, there were weird shows. Like, it would be, like, Polvo would play, you know, but then it would be, like, some weird punk band would play after, you know, mm-hmm. just, like, it was, mm-hmm. a, like, whatever kind of shows, and, uh, you know, and there would be hardly people there, and then all of a sudden you go, and you're like, my friends and I used to just go and skate and hang out there, and in Fugazi plays, we're like, oh my god, look at all these people here, mm-hmm. like, and it was really intimidating, because they're like, people who look cool, you know, like, all of a sudden you're like, you're like, wow, you know, like, they're kind of like, like, hipsters back then, or something, mm-hmm. but like, mm-hmm. people like, you know, got cool t-shirts on, you yeah, know, yeah. like some band, you're Boots. Like, what is that? Tank. Boots, yeah, <laughs> and I'm mean, some kid in like, vans, and, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, Checkerboard fans, yeah, and then like cut off shorts and you know just like you know, you know bad, you know like you know permed up looking mm-hmm. hair and like I just and you like you, I you were like I want I want some of that, so yeah, kind of like I was just like who are these guys? But I would just be like you know scared because it's like I don't, like what is up with these people? Like I don't know. They, it was intimidatingly cool. Yeah, those people appeared, and I just you know I remember like there was this band from Greensboro. Um, can't remember the name. I don't think they even released anything, but I just remember like one time, like I met the singer and he's wearing a Dag Nasty shirt, and I literally couldn't talk to him, and all I could say was just like, "I like your shirt," you know. <laughs> he's just kind of, whatever. He's like long hair, wearing a Dag Nasty shirt. He's just like, Ugh. you know, he didn't want to talk to me. Like, ah, ah. Hey, good shirt. Uh, I like your shirt, you know. And, um, but I did. He was like, "Wow, where do you get that Dag Nasty shirt? That's cool," you know. But so. Uh, we're we're jumping around a whole lot here. So oh, you yeah, did you <laughs> focus? Which yes, no, we can, we don't have to focus because okay. no, no no resources are being expended except time at this point. Yeah, good. Yeah. So um, except for you pay me by the minute here. So. Oh shit! Yeah. I left my wallet at home. Is that, is that uh, cool? I think uh, I owe you. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, how did you get to New York? When did you leave to go to New York? I uh, left like uh, in the. Uh, 2003, and was up there until 2010. Um, yeah, you were up there a while. Yeah, yeah, good time, uh, long enough. Um, and yeah, I was working in Plan Nine, and and just sort of like in Richmond, not in a band, not mm-hmm. doing anything really, and I just like how old were you like then? Like thirty, something like that. Twenty nine. Twenty nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just sort of like. You know, yeah, I was about to hit 30, so I'm kind of like, well, if I do it, I need to do it now. I just broken up with someone, and, you know, and I was kind of like, all right, I need to just do it. I got to move, you mm-hmm. know. So I just I just moved, like, you know, blindly. Just, you know, you know had friends you, in New you York. You had new people up there, right? Yeah, yeah and, and you knew a lot of people, which is great. Yeah. Um, and a lot of my friends that I went to school with and lived with over the years uh, moved up there, too. So I had, I had a lot of friends, you know. Did You you knew Susan Wheelahan and... Mm-hmm. Right? Did you did you hang out with her up there, or was she gone from there by then? Oh, she was I, gone. She was, she was gone, gone by to San then. Francisco, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, we uh, lived together up there at one point. I oh, made okay. that move when I was in my you know early twenties. Right? Like, yeah, you were already up and, and came back to work. Yeah, I remember because I remember you know talking to you at a hole in the wall and stuff. Right. right. I came back all full of myself from New York. I'm better than you people, you lowly Richmonders. That's what happens. You know? <laughs> so, a little bit later than people usually do, you were like, I'm, I'm making the move to the big city. 
Yeah, a little bit later than yeah, most people do. But it wasn't like you were hadn't been exposed to it. You've been up there a lot, and yeah, I'd been up there a lot, and so I knew, you know, I knew what I wanted to do, and I was like, I'm going to try to get a job at a record store, and that's what I did. (laughs) Oh yeah, where did you work? Worked at Academy. Where was that? Uh, Well, I worked at two different locations. I worked at they had just opened one up in Williamsburg, Mm -hmm. and they had another one on Tenth Street, uh, Tenth and Fourth. Um, and I worked at both of those, but I mostly worked at the one in the city, one on, uh, you know, 10th, on that 10th. moved to 12th street actually after a couple of years, but was a theory what was that record store on a, Is yeah, that, that was, was it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When I lived there, that was the, like it, other than Kim's that was it, yeah, around there. That place was pretty big. And then, you know, other music opened up. Oh yeah. 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 And I think like other music kind of killed the theory. So mm-hmm. that, Kill their business. What street was that on Eleventh or? Uh, this uh, it was uh, uh, my wife was actually the manager there. Funny. Um, Other music. Seventh. I think seventh. It's right. It was right where you know the Tower Records was. Yeah, yeah. Literally, uh, that was St. Mark's. Yeah, it was across the street from St. Mark's. Yeah. We're f- well, I guess what, no, it's not. It's not St. Mark's. So it was. Uh, it's like you said, Kim's further right? down. Not Kim. No Tower Records. Oh, not yeah, Kim's. Yeah, yeah, not yeah, Kim's. yeah. Kim's was on St. Mark's. Right, right. And then they now they moved. They're like around the corner from there. At this point, like Manhattan is like getting really like loaded up with people who watch Sex in the City and Friends and stuff like that. Did at you? that point, yeah, definitely. Two thousand three just started. Yeah. And, uh, but like Williamsburg was still, you know, there's still nothing around there, you know, various random restaurants or whatever. I mean, so when you got to New York in, uh, in the 2003 ish, uh, it was sort of mid, like Manhattan's getting a little, I mean, lower East side East village, which had been, I guess, for lack of better word, the coolest part of Manhattan. Oh, because yeah. And then Williamsburg started becoming really cool Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I hadn't, you know, it's weird. I never spent time in Williamsburg. The only thing I ever heard was, like, my friends going, you know, my friends from, like, Jersey and lived in the city were kind of like, it's like, yeah, we don't go over there. It's, like, artists and stuff over there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, and, and it just started, like, kind of, like, the... Did you live, were, is that where you were living, or were you living in Manhattan? No, and I was living in Brooklyn. Um, but I was living in Bed-Stuy, actually. I moved to Bed-Stuy. Is that pretty far out? Or Not terribly far. In fact, uh, I used to ride my bike from where I lived in Bed-Stuy to Williamsburg almost every morning. Which, to to um, Williamsburg? or To Williamsburg, yeah, yeah from Bed-Stuy. It, well, it's yeah. not far from Williamsburg, but how far is it from – I don't know. This is stupid. Who cares? Because, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, we had a practice space in Dumbo, and it was a five-minute yeah. ride on the F, and I didn't fucking want to go over there half the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, because you have to wait for the damn train yeah. for so long. Yeah, well, you know, the thing is, like, we, I was on the G line, and I just, like, I, you know, that's why I rode my bike most of the time until it was stolen, of course. Mm. Uh, because I was they'll just like, I do not want to get on. Too. Oh, they'll steal anything, yeah. Um, yeah. I had a $20 Schwinn Continental locked up out in front of my house. Yeah, and it's even locked up. They'll just take it. Cut yeah. the chain, yeah. Yeah, people will take them. Uh, but yeah, I hated getting on the G train, especially late, because you'd have to wait like you know forty five minutes for a damn train, you know. So, so sometimes I'd take a cab, and the cab wasn't like or a car service, and car service, you know, like, you know ten bucks or something sucked. But you know. <laughs> so you were working at a record store up there, yeah. and yeah. that was that was your ambition. So you 
You were like, "That's I just want to live in New York it, and work at a record store." It's definitely an see. odd. It's definitely a weird ambition to have in life. To be like, I'm going to work in a record store. <laughs> but it's a fun place to work in a record store. Though. Well, yeah, yeah. And I mean, New York. I mean, you get a crash course in everything. You know, yeah. you meet like a gazillion people. I mean, like I, I, it was. I mean, Matt Dillon used to come in our store all the time. Mm-hmm. Tom Verlaine used to be mm-hmm. a regular, you know. And it's just so weird to like go from like, you know, like. Marky Moon's one of my favorite records in the mm-hmm. world to like, you know, just thinking like, wow, these guys, they were cool. They wrote this record. And then you there know, they and are. And then they're just in the dollar section every day. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. The, the guy who wrote like all these amazing songs is just. Because they're thumbing through the, just, the 88 cent band. Yeah, he just has nothing better to do. And then, uh, yeah, you know, and just like meet all these crazy people, you know, like music world people and. You know, people I never thought I'd ever meet. And there, you know, I had that experience living in the Lower East Side too. And people, I met people I never even knew I should meet. Like, like I had my friends were connected to cool people, but I just wanted to go up there and be a pretentious like writer wannabe in Manhattan. I wasn't even thinking about like punk rock or any of that kind of stuff. And and that's probably it's like trying to go through the door into Narnia. You can't go through that can't go through the wardrobe if you're trying to right, right, so like yeah. i just felt like you know I'm, I'm meeting arturo vega you know the oh yeah you yeah. know and like and he introduces me to legs mcneil and he he goes like oh this is uh, curtis he wants to be a writer and uh this is legs mcneil he coined the term punk and i was like i'm not really that into punk man that's cool you know <laughs> <laughs> like no like being exposed to all this stuff meeting all these people and not having any context really for any of it yeah but then that context starts to grow and it's like um the people I did meet, the people like uh, Matt Dillon or somebody like that, they're not who you thought they were, but they are something else that's even more interesting. Right. As Manhattan dwellers and shit yeah, like that. I, yeah, it's weird, like, all the, the opportunities you get by being in New York. And, and you know, that, that was probably the best part about that or why I would even, like, say, like, hey, you should move to a big city sometime, you know, like, because mm-hmm. you, just, you just meet tons and tons of people and it's like there's no line between you and like a celebrity or somebody right. famous or somebody you admire like if there is you put it there by saying like uh i really like your t-shirt yeah i mean <laughs> you're not gonna like meet kanye west or something That's right right but, wants but to. you'll but you're gonna meet like i bet who would want to yeah i know but you know you're you're gonna meet all these other really interesting people they're that you only accessible. read about or listen to their music or just you know read their story yeah Iggy you know? Pop was living in the Cristador right on uh Tompkins Square Park when <laughs> right. I was living yeah, down stuff there like that like he came in the restaurant I worked in all the time R- Richard Hell lived down the block from uh mm-hmm. the store on 12th street you know like i used to see him he'd just be like playing guitar outside on the stoop Richard did you have Hell. the practice I had the practice of acting like I didn't even know who they were you know just ignoring them as if they were uh you know, some yeah. Yeah, just like a they need to know schlub. who I am. Well, some it's weird. Like, like Tom Verlaine obviously was just a dude. Like he, he didn't care. He could care less if you knew who he was or not. He was just a, a guy, you know, like just a normal guy. But, um, yeah, you know, you know, and eventually I got comfortable with like a couple people, you know, where I could be like, Hey, what was it like to do this or whatever? And they would tell, you know, they were cool with it. Cause they were like, you're the, you're in a record store, you mm-hmm. know, you just get comfortable and you can do that. You're all right. Yeah. yeah. You're like, right. Yeah, you're right. I'll talk to you or whatever. Uh, Richard as long L as you're not sweating, me. sweating me and trying to swing from these nuts, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can talk. <laughs> you know, and like James Chance used to always come in and try to hawk his like reissues of the Contortion records and mm-hmm. stuff, mm-hmm. and like yeah, New York's the only place where like 
famous people who like people want to reissue their records will come in and try to hawk their own. Oh records. yeah, for drugs, <laughs> right? You'll for, see. I mean, yeah. I lived I lived on Seventh, which was like they sold heroin at, like pretty much out in the open. Like it was like going to get a fat burger or something. Like you came up yeah, to yeah. My, the stoop next door to mine, <laughs> you handed over your money, and you would see people like you rec- you know famous people coming down that. Yeah, you think well, they have delivery? I yeah. Uh, <laughs> One time I went on, like, uh, I mean, I went on record buys where they were just like, you know, you're in a famous person's place or whatever. But, like, one time uh, just down the block, you know, from Academy, just this woman's like, oh, I have some records in my place. And I go up there and find out, like, that she's Fred Frist's ex-wife. Wow. And he, it's basically I'm buying all his records that he left at her apartment. Were you, know? you were you fair to her in the value of those oh, records? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, probably overly fair. But, like, it, um, but it just is so funny. It's like. There was a Beatles revolver, and it had his name on it. Said Fred Frith on the back. And she's like, "Whatever you do, you can't sell this one." And I'm like, "Why?" He's like, "Fred, it's like publicly known that Fred hates the Beatles, <laughs> and if he if this got out there with his name on it, he would Ruined be really upset." <laughs> and I'm like, oh, "Okay, now look what you've just done." Yeah, I know, right? It's be all over my like, huge podcast. Yeah, I know. So yeah, Fred Frith loves the Beatles. <laughs> Yes, by the Enough way. Enough to or, write or, his name or, on or it. Or he bought, he bought one Beatles Records revolver, which is probably if you're going to buy one. But he didn't want to get in away from him, so he wrote his name on that shit. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. Well, he was also young. You know, mm-hmm. back, you're a kid, you write your name on it. It's an interesting thing to mind because, like, I mean, I think you went up there older than me, already a little more secure in who you were and a little, like, and you'd been in bands and shit and you knew how to handle yourself, yeah. like, sort of in this. But I went up there a fucking idiot. Like, I, I mean, I really, like... You know, didn't, well, you that when you're younger, it's like right. you're in party mode, you know. Right. And I was kind of like already starting to get out of party mode, you know. I mean, I was still definitely like, I want to go to bars, mm-hmm. I want to like check out the city, you know. I just want to, I'll stay out all night. But yeah, if you go there in your early twenties, like you'll probably just. It was a I blur, spent the first so. year like making an asshole out of myself, <laughs> you know, because yeah. people don't like. I, I right. went up there drinking Richmond style, you know, yeah. like where we we get bored and we destroy an Oregon Hill house and you know throw the couch through the window and shit like that and yeah, it's really yeah, funny yeah. we're not like violent or anything like that we're just really out you're of you're it. bored and drunk right yeah and we really made a, a like a, a an art out of getting that drunk and being silly and shit and i went up to manhattan my first year trying to drink like that and expect people to take me seriously and nobody i knew drank like that you know they oh, got too no, much shit no. to do to be getting all fucking well, wasted. And it's expensive to drink like that, too. There's that. Well, I always had the flask. And, yeah, nobody's, yeah. like, hanging on their apartment. just like, I'm just going to drink, you know, by myself. Like, you, you're in New York. you, you got to go out. You're going to a bar. There's, like... Yeah, well, I handled that you know. by buying a pint of Smirnoff from the liquor store next to my house. It was $6.25. I still remember this. Mike Vazak, right next to the Horseshoe Bar. Mm-hmm. He goes, six and a quarter. And then I would kill half of that before going out to the bar because it was so expensive. That's and then wise. sip yeah. on my Rolling Rock or whatever. <laughs> this is before they started introducing PBRs into the uh, circulation there. So you couldn't get – there wasn't a, like a cheap beer. When I was there in the 90s, it was, you know, five bucks. Uh, yeah. Like that. Well, now there's cheap beers. I mean, you can find cheap bars, mm-hmm. but just – you know, was the Holiday Cocktail Lounge still there on St. Mark's when you were? Yeah, Holiday. $2.50 for a highball. Holiday was. Holiday may actually still be there now that I think about it. There's Blue and Gold. That was the other cheap one, yeah. And Holiday. And I think Blue and Gold's not there, maybe, but I think Holiday may actually still be there. The place I used to go to is International Bar. Uh huh. 
And that's the, well. That's the indie rock uh, hangout too. Yeah. That's like the Kim Deal and all the Matador people and all that shit. Yeah, and I mean, I was it was like a shithole. There's a hole in the floor. It was mm-hmm. just like, but it was really cheap. And then someone bought it, and they fixed it up. And everybody's like, "Oh my god, this is this was the worst thing ever!" It's like somebody bought it and they're fixing it up and making it look nice. And it basically kept the exact same prices. <laughs> they had at the really the, so they cleaned it up and it's still cheap. Yeah, because you could get like they had these specials where you can get like a Schaefer and a shot of Jameson. It was five bucks. Wait, what was that so, place? The Cherry Tavern. Did you ever go there? Yeah, that was the same yeah. kind of thing. Like uh, the Takati and a shot of tequila for like five bucks. Five right? bucks or whatever. Yeah, yeah like, so great jukebox in that joint cheap. too. And the International Bar had a good jukebox. They had a great it. jukebox, mm-hmm. um, and I think they still had the jukebox in there. Um, but it, that was on the way, like th- from work to the, um, you know, from from where I worked at Academy to the subway, like to go home. So I'd always like stop there and get a, you know, not every night. I mean, like very randomly, like if I'm like leaving with like a friend from work or whatever, it's like, mm-hmm. hey, let's go inside here. We'll just get a shot and a beer real quick and go home. Or whatever. What was what were you thinking of Richmond at that point when you were up there? Were you like this place? That place is like just got nothing for me. It's done. Basically, yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's kind of how I felt about it. I ignored it completely. Um, Lo and behold, a lot of things changed quickly. You know, and when I left, there wasn't really. There just wasn't anything going on. You know, like Mm -hmm. the bands. Like I think Municipal Waste had just started or something, but it was just like nothing going on music wise, like at all, Mm -hmm. like nothing. All my friends kind of just stopped playing music and, um, yeah, so I just, like, I didn't even think about it. I just ignored it. I never came back, you know, unless, like, I was coming down here to buy a record from playing. Did you ever have nightmares that you were back here and that you needed to get back to New York? No. That used to happen to me. Really? Yeah. really. (laughs) You didn't hate it that much. I didn't hate it that much, no. No, I never hated Richmond. I just, like, was... uh, I, it was just time for me to do something else, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately. And it was definitely a good choice. Like, I made a really good choice. So, obviously, somehow you got hooked up with uh, with Ted Leo, and, and was that a – when did that happen? And- yeah, like, I – um, that happened uh, – uh, and I was already friends with him anyway. How were you and, friends um, with him? Well, I knew uh, – I just knew him because they were, you know, a band, and they played Richmond. I set up shows for him in Richmond. Mm-hmm. Um. I was in a band with Chris's uh, little brother, who's actually my age. You know, mm-hmm. Ted's a little, little bit older than me, but his brother Chris uh, and I—I I played. I played in a band with him for a little while, and so I just kind of knew what his was family that? or whatever. It was called the Laps, and uh, so I just kind of knew knew him from that. But he, he was older, and he was in Chisel. This band called Chisel, and like um, you know, and he just you know. Like, I just kind of ran, you know, knew him from the periphery, you know, a little bit. And then when the pharmacist started and I set up a show for him in Richmond or whatever, and I got to know him. And every time they would come through, like, they'd always stay with me or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just got to know those guys really well. So when their bass player quit, like, Ted called me. And, and when was this? You just said earlier that you played with them for this starting. What? Oh, uh, well, this was, I mean, it's been like six years. Now, yeah. So, um did but, you uh, plan on getting into? Uh, I mean, was that the first band you played in 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 New York? Yeah. No, I jammed with some other people. Um, a funny, the funny thing is, a band that I started here in Richmond, like a joke band called Direct from Hollywood Cemetery. I remember <laughs> that. That was like we, Misfits kind of. Yeah, we kind of did a lot of covers. Of stuff. Yeah, but and, you uh, sometimes looked like 
Somebody wore a cape and had a top hat. Yeah, uh, singer Dave wore, was a vampire. We we're all supposed to be different types of monsters. Undead like or monsters? Like, yeah, okay. like I was a – like Greg Darden was in the band. He was right. the wolf man. Uh-huh. And I was supposed to be a <laughs> your mummy. Uh, oh, my God. Man. But then we kind of gave up on that and just started like being like, we're all zombies. And then, you know, we have a vampire lead singer. And uh, so we did that in Richmond. You the know, groovy goalies. The, like, the gro- like the groovy goalies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, precisely. And uh, so we started – we were doing that like late 90s in Richmond or whatever. And everyone in the band kind of moved away. Like Tom Sullivan was the only person in the band that stayed around. And everyone had moved. But everyone in the band basically had moved to New York, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm living up there. And I'm like, you know, we're all living here again. Like, why don't we just start this let's band? Let's get the band and, back together. Yeah, let's get the band back together. We'll play some parties. You know, we'll do, like, uh, Halloween. So we played, we, we got together. We wrote some original songs and did covers, and we played this Halloween show in Brooklyn, and people were really into it. And then all of a sudden, we got offered shows. Like, people were like, hey, do you want to play this show? And so we're like, oh, it's weird, but okay. So then we just kind of kept playing, and, like, somebody wanted to put out a single, so we put out a 7-inch, and... We just kept playing random shows, and uh, until eventually it just got to the point where it's like we can't do this anymore. You know, like uh, just it was stupid. <laughs> it was fun. I'm uh, such a big fan of stupid now. Well, stupid know? is great, and it was, it was actually a lot of fun to be in a band, but it was really frustrating keeping like seven people like kind of coordinated enough to like pull it. Well, off, things can know? be so painfully hip and serious, especially around the record store, indie rock, music scene. Yeah, like. No, Nobody's having. I think that's why, like, we kind of like we're playing around in New York, and people are like, "What is up with this band?" But they really liked it because they're like, "Wow, you guys are fun! Like, right. you're not serious. You're fun. You're dressing up as vampires and zombies, but it's like a, we're playing normal shows, you know." And uh, yeah, it was just kind of like, and we're playing originals too, you know. We're like writing original music, so like, it, you know, we got to open up for you know one time for Ted, and we played mm-hmm. with a lot of like. A lot of you know bands in Brooklyn played a lot of venues. It was really weird. But our drummer, our friend Alex, quit, and we got this other guy to play drums, and it kind of killed us because he was a little too serious. Like wanted to be like, like we're gonna we're gonna take this far. Like no, right. we dress up as vampires and zombies. Like nobody, like we're just having fun, and he right. kind of ruined it for us, and we broke it, broke the band up, and sporadically, uh, we even played like in Richmond, like I don't know, like right when we moved here or whatever. Like we kind of played show at, at couscous man you were really bringing some things back to me man. yeah I've forgotten about but yeah like but that's kind of the same thing happened to us in richmond where like we played a halloween show and then re- and it just kind of like people were like man you should play more shows that was fun and we're like oh, okay so we would mm-hmm. book shows and just play random shows well that's <laughs> yeah. a, you know the weird thing and i don't know maybe this is like a continuum like of how serious people got about specific you know, like styles of punk rock. Like we became this group becomes the street punk people over here. You know, right. this the gutter punks, and then this group over here becomes the straight edge hardcore scene, and this group over here is this. And you know, and and everybody gets really like um, becomes zealots in their own little particular thing. And then we go through this all this you know the '90s and all this political correctness. And then, I mean, my experience of like I went to New York to get away from like uptight shit, like. I felt like Richmond wasn't letting me breathe and wasn't letting things that I thought were cool breathe. So I went to New York and like I wasn't 
I was just looking for more like freedom and more ability to do whatever the hell I wanted to, like yeah. drink on the street and, and you know whatever. And I had that initially, and I had no interest in being any part of like anything indie rock or whatever. And which is again the Narnia thing again. I accidentally got a job packing boxes at Matador and found myself amongst people who took everything real fucking seriously. You know, yeah, like right. it was like rock and roll is not fun anymore. It's a way that you bully your friends or, you know, make people feel stupid. Feel, for feel, like, yeah. You want It's like a way to feel superior. Like I like this and that. And it still happens, though. There's still like, oh, I'm sure it does. But I just know. fucking hate it. You know, like, you know. I mean, and I got became one of I, like in order to survive, like in that environment. You know, oh, yeah, like, yeah exactly. You, you have to, you know, and it's like. But, you know, it's funny you meet the guys who are, like, really into power pop. Like, I have every power pop single from 1973 to, you know, 85 where, mm-hmm. where power pop got bad or something. You know, <laughs> like, you meet these people who are, like, really into, like, sub-sub-genres of music, too, you know. or um, But at the same time, it's like that. As I say, like, you learn so much, too. You're yeah. Kind of like, whether you like it or not, it's like, that's what I was doing. I was going to New York, and I wanted to soak, soak it in. Right. Like, like, I knew I would go up there, and I'm like, I'm going to meet all these people. And I'm just going to soak in all this information. You had a much better attitude. Meet a lot of people. I was up there like, I already know everything. <laughs> I'm already really cool. Right. So you guys yeah. are just going to be glad I'm here and you're going to give me jobs and well, hook me up with stuff. I mean, I knew a lot from working at Plan 9, too, and I learned a lot about music or whatever. But mm-hmm. I got, like, really good at, like, knowing stuff about records. And it's just like, because I, like. I, you I were well trained to go up there and be a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like. To the point where, like, uh, this guy that worked at Academy didn't believe I worked at Plan. I was like, "No, why would you know? Like, I don't believe you worked at Plan." And it's like, it's like, why would you even doubt that? Why would like, anybody lie? Like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> anyone can work there. Would you um, know, there was a small record store on like 10th or 11th, the, the just vinyl in there. Uh, a guy named Jesse ran it. Do you remember that place? Oh wait, uh, where was it at? It was in the East Village. It was like on. I want to say it was 10th or 11th uh, between like uh, A and First, or maybe. You know, really little place, and they had, like, super, you know, rare shit up hanging yeah, up on the walls. Yeah, and... it rings a bell, but I can't really, yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. Digression. It's probably already gone by the time. But that, you know, that that whole, like, the treating of music is, like, you know, we I'm already over something that you haven't even heard yet. Like, I have the advance advance, you know. No, that's very true, and, yeah. Like, well... No, the funny thing is, even then, it's like, you know, the internet wasn't even as advanced as it is now, where, like, you can learn about that. Like, whatever band is playing at, you know, like, Cake Shop tonight, mm-hmm. you're going to see the video of it tomorrow, and you're going right. to know all about it. Yeah. But um, you learn so much stuff so quickly. Yeah, back then, people zealously and jealously guarded street date. I mean, it's kind of, like, yeah. ridiculous now. It's almost impossible. To yeah. Do. I mean, I still get, I mean, Matador still tells me, it's like, it's you have right, to right. Do, you know, sell it on this day. You mm-hmm. know, do not sell it. Is Rusty day. Clark still at Matador? I don't, I don't think She so. was, like, one of the head of the sales department. Made yeah, my life so a living hell. Dave Martin is, uh... Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's still there. I, he he's was there. one of the worst with that shit. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> like, he would, he would come back, and he's a nice enough guy, but, like, I liked to... Li- I was really coming into psychedelic rock and stoner kind of rock shit, and, like, yeah. what was really in vogue at, in that world at that time was more, like, the garage, like, Crypt Records stuff, and... Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And then, like, Guided by Voices and that sort of thing. And I wanted to listen to Caius back there yeah. and like you know and and there were things that they had like mike gunn and shit that was in that vein you ever hear of that band from yeah. texas oh, the yeah. Mike Gunn? Okay. yeah because that's a charlama 
bides or the whatever. What oh, yeah, yeah. Somebody connected to that. But uh, he would just come back and, like, I'd be listening. Actually, I'd be listening to Danzig's first record. And he'd come back there and mock me mercilessly. I'm like, I'm just trying to fucking, you know, enjoy some music. You're like, yeah, you no, actually that- think this is a good record, don't you? Like, just fucking. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's record store. I mean, people do that at Plan 9, too, you know. Like, yeah. That was like, that, that's the whole thing. You get those, like, a lot of opinionated people. Mm-hmm. That Yeah, because you're all opinionated about what, you know, about music. And you put them all in a room together, and they have to work together. I think Dave Martin had a—I'm probably outing him. And he had a thing on his on his desk that said, "Honk if you hate cranky." <laughs> <laughs> cranky probably made that too. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. But yeah, I found—I don't know—I took myself fair. Like I don't know, I was sensitive about that kind of stuff, so I didn't enjoy that so much. And that really actually is what fueled me starting to play music because I was like, you know, fuck this shit. I'm going to do my own thing and i was rebelling against the the rebels right there because yeah. that it got fairly very uptight in like serious it that it wasn't fun working there you know it was like this is product you know they had yeah. they had already become like that level of a label there was so much money at stake and whatever now, they're, you know? now with queens of the stone age hitting number one now ironic like, as shit already. yeah me getting mocked for listening to caius back then and, 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 and yeah the, and the, the First album to ever go to number, number one. one is Queens of the Queens fucking of the Stone Age. Age. Yep. 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 Way ahead of my time. What can I say? <laughs> but they're not even, I mean, I don't even know how, like, Beggars Group bought a big, or the whole label at yeah, some Yeah, well, Beggars is like, there's a whole umbrella where it's like, Beggars now, yeah, they, they basically bought into all these, like, Excel, um, you know, Matador. And then Matador has a bunch of other smaller labels that they invested into. Yeah, they um, used to do PCP, Still Breeze, Teen Beat, Uncrypt, and all this shit. Anymore. But those they're, all they're no longer. True Panther sounds. Um, uh, who else? Uh, and there's another one too. Um, Young Turks. But yeah, no, it's like. Um, but it's all yeah, it's like this umbrella of all these. But other there are like three or four different times. Four eighty. Like, I was there when Capital bought. 49 percent oh that's right you know? yeah, yeah but before that it had been atlantic they bought 49 yeah. percent they tried to do something with liz fair and it and didn't happen and then capital bought 49 percent they really tried to push blues explosion and stuff. it didn't happen yeah just that, there's just a ceiling for that kind of stuff like the people who really dig that shit once it gets that big oh, are going to stop listening no doubt to there's it, a ceiling know? for it and yeah. and i think all these labels just thought i don't know they were just they were everyone was just looking for the next nirvana no matter what they mm-hmm. were just looking for it and they figured like if we put our money here 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 but it's not going to happen but i mean matador honestly besides until queen i mean think about it they've been around this long and this is their first like big charting record yeah you know? i mean i think like, when i was there liz fair had been the whip smart had been the biggest and that was like six hundred thousand. and that was yeah and, and that was and, a really big record too. yeah but they had that period with interpol and cat power getting pretty big and they definitely some got other big things yeah happening. Um, bell and sebastian not that big but interpol was pretty big for interpol definitely got probably was their biggest band up until now like you know like that actually did did anything you know sold a lot of records but you know that's funny you say nirvana because i mean i used to occasionally like go off the deep end partying with chris lombardi and like Mm -hmm. they really he was like i don't want anything to like i didn't like that i didn't want anything to do with that like that wasn't my shit at all i was trying to do my shit over here you know with matador and it's like they were the very often bridesmaids not the brides like 
Kozloy is the guy who like really finds Dinosaur Jr. and Sonic yeah, Youth and what, like, that's his fuck him thing. and go to SST. And, and that's what he was doing even at Homestead, you know? That's mm-hmm. like that, you know. Right. Homestead is, is when he... or Yeah. That was originally the label that Dinosaur Jr. when they were yeah, Dinosaur. Like, right? Yeah, he signed Dinosaur Jr. And then they, bl- they move on to another label and get bigger on SST. And right. I think Sonic Youth talked them into doing that. Like, they also... They went over there. Too, yeah. So he he's always he knew what was they knew what was good, but they could never like kind of hit that thing. So then they become the guys that are like we know better, more than you. Right. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like I you know I find the talent or whatever, and then and uh, yeah, Chris definitely has another thing, and then Patrick Amory is like just the quiet guy in the corner, doesn't really do anything but collect records. Yeah, it was a very different. I mean, when I was there, it was like we were on further down Broadway, and there was like uh, eight, eight to twelve people working there. Mm-hmm. It and it was a, a really family kind of a thing. And then I, we moved up the street to the the six twenty five or six twelve over the El Sombrero, and now they're like somewhere else. I yeah, think. they're down it's on like, Hudson now, and and like and all of like all the beggars. Uh, group stuff is all on like this one floor or whatever. You Do know, you know Adam Carroll? Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, he was he was in my first band. Like when Adam came oh, okay. in yeah. to uh, Matador and uh, I, I don't remember where he became from Newberry Comics. I think he like actually moved to New York to work there. Like they hired yeah, him. Yeah, because he's from Boston. Right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. And we started playing together. My friend Eric and I could not play very much at all. Like I was the drummer, Eric was the bass player, but Adam was really good guitar player. And we started playing in that space out in Dumbo. And uh, we were just like, we're going to do the stoner rock, like riff rock thing. Fuck all this indie rock. Because that, mat- it, yeah, Mattitude, that was the term that uh, that was thrown around. Mattitude. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting far into about me time. So. Yes. Ted Leo and the pharmacist that becomes like now you're not working in a record store anymore or no I'm still working in a record store how um, did you pay the bills working in a record store oh I did I did all right um I uh no I, I could pay the bills I was you know working full time and you know it's New York they pay you <laughs> you know you get paid for what you, your knowledge you know and I really? was actually getting paid a pretty good salary working in a record store you know I, I Academy is a different was a different beast. It's not like working at Kim's or working at like a chain. Store I worked at St. Mark's Sounds oh, for right. a while there, and which was all stolen. Yeah, music, yeah, oh right, right. yeah. I know it's all like you know, like everything was just like people stealing and bringing. To- in, do- like. Totally, there were. <laughs> I stood on a box and watched to make sure that the customers didn't steal. While yeah. right underneath me would be a guy from like one of the major labels with a thirty count box of clean product. Yeah, selling it for four five bucks a, a CD. Yeah, you know, yep. making one hundred and fifty dollars that he just completely stole, and then they'd sell it for nine ninety nine next door at the other store and undercut everybody else. Yeah, I had a friend Neil worked at Caroline, and what he used to do is like in the mailroom, and he would take like you know thirty count box of CDs, and he'd like throw it out the window to this one dumpster, and he'd go out, you know, like when he left work, he'd grab them and he'd go down to the sounds. That's f- so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of people did that shit, and now the the Matador guys really watched the place. So I I never once took anything from there over there, but I did. Somebody accidentally sent us a bunch of Sundays uh, stuff, like like Os Mutantes and oh, like weird. some other yeah. random psychedelic shit. And I was like, well, that wasn't even meant for us. Nobody knows where it is, so I took that shit yeah. down and sold it all up and down the the East I mean, Village. Everyone does it, right? <laughs> 
gotta have money, yeah. man. But they see, I didn't know that. So you were, I mean, I knew that well, they. Academy was like, well, Academy is definitely like it's very boutiquey to the point where it's like, you know, the owner is like, he's not hiring schlubs, he's hiring people like you know what you're doing, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and I, you know, definitely, I got, I, you know, like at first I, he was like hiring me as like a schlub, and then he's like, oh well, you know what you're doing. So you know, I got a raise, and I had a really good like for New York, I was doing pretty well. Then I ended up in the pharmacist, and, you know, and one reason working at record stores, you could do whatever you want to, you know, right. like, like people, you know, and he was in a band too, the owner, mm-hmm. um, he was in this band called Angel Rot back in mm-hmm. New York, I remember you know, that. Mm-hmm. and just sludgy metal, you know, and, um, they, you know, and he just, he knew what it was like to tour and stuff. So he was kind of like, you know, he was cool. It's just like, you can take a leave, you know, and come back whenever, you know, it's just like, there's always a job for you no matter mm-hmm. what, you know, and. And I would work from the road even, you know, doing stuff. And, uh, yeah, so. How did you like that, uh, being in that band and, and um, touring? Well, I love I love being in a band. You're it, still in that band. I'm still in the band, right, yeah. Right. No, I, I love it. Uh, it's it's fun. I mean, well, you know, we haven't been doing too much lately. We're playing a show at Black Cat uh, in a couple weeks. But, like, um, we just got back from a small tour that was really great. And we hadn't played in a really long time, but you know, like right when I joined the band was like, it was nonstop touring. Like I was on tour, I think the first year, like about four, four or five months. Was this a different experience for you as a, you know, an older guy, guys been around and been all of these other bands doing this at this point? You know? Yeah. Well, I actually, I felt it felt good because I was like, I'm finally in a band. I'm getting paid to be mm-hmm. in a band. <laughs> right. Is that paying out to be in a band? Right. And you know, people were at the shows, and I it felt good. Like I like I I liked playing. I like playing his songs. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's actually fun. It's rewarding. You know. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, yeah, it's like it's it's cool. Like, uh, but it was mostly nice to be like, hey, I'm finally like, I felt like I made it. You yeah. Know? Like, in an indie way, you know, but, like, I made it, you know. Uh, but That's pretty awesome. And did you, I mean, like, you're not, so you're getting paid, but also, like, like living on the road like that as a guy who's kind of, you know, outgrown certain aspects of partying, was that a different experience, you know? Was it, did you treat it more like vacation? Yeah, it was more like vacation, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, because, like, you know, we get the hotel room, and we just, you know, you don't go out, and we're not like, yeah, we're gonna party with those people. No, right. it's like, it's like, uh, you get up early and go have some coffee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> go to the gym. Yeah. You know, I used to go to the gym every morning, and uh, you know, I, you know, it's like, it was, yeah, it's like it was, de- it was definitely different, you know, and uh, I liked it a lot. I still do. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, you had good things going on in New York. Why'd you come back? To well, it uh, the curse. It was the curse, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, well, I got married to this wonderful woman, Nicole. Is she from here? She's not, no. Okay. She she actually is from, she grew up um, outside of Boston, but she uh, she lived in New York for a long, long time. And as I, she was a manager of other music for a while. Mm-hmm. And um, so we were in a band a little while in New York called Tra La La. Um, and uh, I, like that. I think it lasted maybe two years or something. But what like, was that like, Tra La La? It was uh, kind of like, it was like, poppy girl group it was uh-huh. like it was like ramones meet girls girl group like it's real simple musically very simple that's exactly what i would have thought it would have sounded like and you know and there were four lead singers not well not lead but they were like you know was she like, the only girl in the band were there no no it was four girls it was oh, four yeah. girls and then the backing band was just like us three guys you know and so seven people in the band yeah 
Um, did they set it up like uh, the Supremes? Like there are three girls on one. Uh, no, no, the, all the girls lined up together. Okay. You know, and uh, you know, we just it was fun. It was really, really fun. But I, you know, I kind of met. She worked at Academy as well, and then went back to other music. She had worked at other music, quit, and then went back there when she got a position, a managerial position. Mm-hmm. Like, um, but it was, uh, yeah, it was, that was really fun. But I had met her, and we started hanging out. Uh, got married, uh, got married in Richmond and she just kind of fell in love with Richmond and she just, she had been in New York a really long time and just wanted to get out. And I was kind of like, you know, I wasn't really done with New York. I loved living there, you know? Um, but when my friend drew, that worked at plan nine, just out of the blue, it was just like, Hey, I heard you were thinking about moving back. I'm moving up a record store. You know, if you want to be my partner, you can do that if you come back. And, And so that was kind of like my impetus to be like, well, Nicole wants to get out of New York. I have this opportunity. I should probably just do it. You mm-hmm. know? So, yeah. So we, three years ago, that's what we did. And how are you liking it being back here now? It's weird. I say, well, you know, I think like earlier I was saying how long like, has it been all this now? stuff was happening in Richmond. I totally ignored it when I got back here. Really like, oh, my God, there's a whole new scene of yeah. new stuff that like I've missed out on in seven years. You know, yeah. like it's pretty interesting. Like, how How long have you been back here now? Like a little over three years. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it's like, and it's like a lot of my older friends are just like, you know, they had kids or moved on or moved out of town or whatever. And there's this whole crop of kids. Like, um, you know, Strange Manor became this, you know, like after being a million different clubs, it became like an actual like, Twisters and Nancy Reagan and. Yeah, 929. Yeah, oh, yeah. Kronos Cafe. Oh, my God. But, like, uh, you know, and the guys were running it. Like, it was, all of a sudden, it was, like, a viable club. Like, oh, wow, these guys have a real club. And then, like, all these other people were opening up clubs that were, like, like instead of, like, sleazy club owners that we were used to back in the day that were just, like, drug addicts. And, uh, <laughs> you know, just, just, like, the scum of the planet. You know, all of a sudden, it was like, whoa, there's clubs down here who are, like, uh, you know, like, these guys, like, are, like, you know, they they understand. They understand mm-hmm. like how what it's like to treat a well, band that's really well, kind of fucking pay them well, like make sure they have a good show. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, man, like that's cool because I'm not I wasn't used to that in Richmond. The only that thing I was close to was like holding the wall, booking shows on holding the wall. And as you may remember, like, you know, John Parton would be like jump on any show. Like he loved doing shows yeah. there. Yeah. Like when boats worked there, it's like let's book shows. Mm-hmm. And you know, those guys just want wanted bands to have a good time mm-hmm. and be able to put on a good show. And that's why, like, I try to do everything there. See, I haven't been to Strange Matter since I've been back here. But, like, my assumption, that's, like, one of the last rock clubs on that strip that used to have many. And I just figured the reason it's just holding on by, you know, its fingernails. And eventually, Trainee or somebody is going to turn that into a bookstore. Yeah, or just knock down and be a parking lot. But but it's come back around, huh? They're holding on to it. And, uh, you know, Strange Matter does really well. And those guys, like, they know how to run a the club you know they're doing really well and like they're they up the sound system they made it like a, it's it's great you know and uh you know it's still a, a dingy club like any other club you i've seen do. some awesome but shows in that great. place so going all the way back oh, yeah. like oh, well, all the way back like 1989 19 yeah no there's yeah. a lot of bands went through there and like but uh you know even like the camel and you know you have the camel or like um you know, a lot of spaces around where, like, mm-hmm. people are really doing There's a lot of shit shows. going on in this town They're now. trying to get bands to come here because there was – I feel like 
so many bands played and got screwed over, mm-hmm. and then they just told their you know booking agent or they told just other bands like Richmond. don't go to Richmond, it's bullshit. Like you're gonna get robbed. Well, people, <laughs> I mean, dude, there's a point Nobody in time where people up. wouldn't pay to come out and see a band, and then and people just wouldn't. Yeah, they don't want to pay. They're, it's like not even about getting screwed over. It's like there's no one who's will come off the five bucks because that's like drinking money or yeah. pot money. Uh, or whatever. You know, to an extent, that still happens a little bit, but I I think like. I think it's getting better, you know, and more because you've you've booked out. and you've been in bands, yeah, and you know that like bands come into clubs assuming that you're you've got a safe full of money back there that you're going to pay them just because they play rock and roll, right? And they're and they you know are going to play in your club tonight, whether or not anybody comes out, yeah, you know. Well, it depends and, on the caliber of band too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you deal with a lot of bands who just are sort of like driving around in a beat up van and they're just like happy to get twenty bucks or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's like. You know, I'm like, I'm sorry there are only five people here. It's 20 bucks. I mean, I do in-stores here at mm-hmm. the shop, and, you know, sometimes I'm like... That's what this space is for that we're sitting on? Do they play up here? Well, or they I play do downstairs? events up here, but mostly down on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh... But, you know, what I wanted to say really quick is, I mean, this is just to throw in an anecdote. Like, I, I, what I was saying about Richmond up until, you know, I came back from Minnesota is that in when I was 21, I went to a, a plate alternatives Burma Jam show at... What is now uh, Strange Matter when it was Twisters, I think. And it was a fucking snowstorm out there. The streets were covered with ice. Like, you could not walk 10 feet. I'm not exaggerating without falling on your fucking ass. And that place was packed. It was wall-to-wall people. There was, like, you couldn't get it any more people in there. And then flash forward one year and, like, people, you smattering of people at shows. Like, just people wouldn't go to shows. Yeah, for a long uh, time. it's weird. Like, and it's weird what people are like. Actually, you know, yeah, you know, it's just strange. Like, it, I don't understand like what it is about. It. Like, it could be a little bit of rain or something, and it keep people. Like, I'm not going to go out or whatever. <laughs> um, you know, I you know I do shows here where I'm like, this band is great or this performer is really great, and no one shows up, mm-hmm. and I don't know what no rhyme or reason to it. It's just sort of like I don't know. Like, I, you know, I thought I promoted it. I thought this person was popular or whatever, but. Um, yeah, Richmond has a long ways to go still, but it is getting better. It's definitely getting better. Um, if it could just be, I think it would be nice if it's about where it was in the late '80s, early '90s, without getting that, that was definitely seemed to be the hype. From what I understand from everyone and me coming to shows, even back then, just randomly, like you could get national acts through here. Like it was just a decent balance. Because if it goes too far, and I think it's likely to, just because of where we are and how crowded some of these other cities are getting, we're just going to have to take a dose of you know yeah but you know population at some point we just we we lost all our shows because yeah mainly because it's like people are like skip richmond it's not worth it you can right. go to charlottesville you can play dc you can play raleigh mm-hmm. durham chapel hill you know you, you can skip richmond you don't need it right where it used to, that used to be an option it used to be like all bands came through Richmond. right you know at one point they didn't go to charlottesville or whatever and it's it, because it got a bad rap and i think like it's starting to come back a little bit yeah like, i think bands are starting like oh yeah we can like merge records i mean for years like nothing on merge would play in richmond at all you know so they're slowly like at you know even even today they're just kind of like yeah we're sending some more acts up that way we're asking well, them look to play richmond. the other night because they had a whole history of uh you know with Getting coral f- and breadwinner mm-hmm. and everything you know like bunch of richmond bands on that label yeah yeah, they're, yeah the dynamic truths put out a single on merge you know so it's like you have a whole history but like you know they skip over it every time because they just assume like it's going to be bad 
Because and they the, had a bad show. Yeah, I think this is a different. Not only are there different people here, but there's this whole different uh, network for getting shit out there. Yeah, I mean that goddamn Agent Orange show at Banditos. I I was I heard there was go, a line around the door. Yeah, right? I was gonna go check it out, uh, and I couldn't find a parking space. I said, Fuck it, I'd seen yeah. it in Costa Mesa. Well, it's a free show with Agent Orange. Still, <laughs> I mean, there are plenty of free shows that are yeah. empty. But well, like, well Richmond's shit- always quintessentially been a punk town, though, yeah. and like it doesn't. If it's a punk show, it's just gonna people are gonna go to it. It doesn't matter. It's like you know whether there's many generations of punks. There's so right? many generations of it. I mean, that's the whole thing. It's like I have friends that are in their forties, you know, who would not go to anything else, but they heard that like Agent Orange is playing town. They're going to that show, you know, mm-hmm. and like for which is a long. A, I am in my 40s, by the way. That's not so damn old, dude. Come on. <laughs> and you were trying to go to Agent Orange. I was totally going to go to well, I'm almost there. fit right into that months, fucking stereotype. Yeah, it, I was just thinking the other night, I was like, there are so, I actually can't decide what to do tonight because there's so many different things going on. And that mm-hmm. definitely wasn't the case when I left. And I think I kind of stopped going to shows after going to California and getting too immersed in the music scene out there. I was just over it for a while but it used to be pretty much the only place to go was hole in the wall for me like i yeah you know, yeah yeah that was it well i went there the too 2000s. because it served me underage so. <laughs> i was uh, like 19 and uh, no. <laughs> i mean it's not gonna hurt anyone now to admit it but you know they wouldn't even look at ids they just would hand you a beer and you're like, i always get maybe they were just trying to keep me out of there though i was already way too old um to be getting carded, but still did. But, you know, there just weren't a lot of... If there was one thing going on, that's just what you did. And there are a lot of choices now. And there's a lot of good clubs. They're, like, really decent. Yeah, it's Like, true. Camel is nice. I like that place. Yeah. You know? it Definitely back then, it was like, you know, there would be one event going on that night. And that was it. But, yeah, now there's multiple. I mean, sometimes there's, like, four or five things that you could go to. But, I mean, there's, a D, you know, DJ nights all the time now. That's something that didn't happen back mm-hmm. in the 90s. Um, yeah, multiple good shows too. You know, it's, yeah, uh, it's great. It's going, you know, Richmond's going through his little renaissance. I like that you're down here too, man. I mean, when I was a kid, downtown was something. You know, I grew up in Churchill. I could walk down here. There were department stores. There was all kinds of shit. Right. And then then there was nothing except you know sneakers and baby clothes yeah. along here for <laughs> miles. And, and it's starting to yeah, there, slowly, very slowly, businesses are starting to move back down. Do here. you get fucked with it all here? Oh, all the time. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I've been held up, you know, by gunpoint. You gun have? Point. Yeah, gunpoint. Multiple times? Once. Okay. Just once. Uh, but, you know, I mean, you get a lot of street guys who just come in. People are just for waiting money. for the bus out here, come in waiting and fuck bus, around and shit. Yeah, sometimes mm-hmm. you have to call the cops because there's a fight at the bus stop and, you know. But, yeah, we get fucked up. Of course, that way. was true back, you know, there was a record store a little further down the street. There was a branch of Bohannon's Yeah, there. the Bohan- you still see the sign, too. Yeah, it's Carrington's or something. Well, and it was then- called, Ca- yeah, it was Carrington's, but, like, he moved in next door. But, yeah, the Bohannon's, yeah. And my friend's dad ran that place, and he was like, you know, guy comes into the store having been shot. You know, he had to, like, wrap his arm oh. up. And, you know, it was just always. Yeah, it still happens down here. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, that's that's an, an issue, but I, you know, you know, I mean. Like that's a fucking reality. Is you got to deal with that down, even if it's just like the hassling of like kids coming in here messing with stuff. You know, like walk a couple of blocks from. Yeah, I got a lot of kids who are just like, like meandering through, just looking for anything to do, and they're just kind of here to fuck around. How do you handle that? Do you have um, a trap door that goes down into an Iron Maiden and uh, get shipped off? No, to the... you just kind of have to ignore it and be like, "Please leave" or whatever. And usually it's all right. Um, I don't know. 
I mean, you don't have like, get a lot of random drunk people just wandering. Is there in. a lot of theft? I mean, do you, do you, do we, you we've had we've had some theft. Not not very much though. Yeah, very surprising. Um, mainly because I don't think people would know what to steal. Right. You know? Like, why? What am I going to do with this? With vinyl, right? Mostly. You mostly don't have CDs kids. down here. Kids. No, no CDs. It's all vinyl. But you know, we do have kids that come. They steal and they'll try to sell it to other local record stores. You know, so and and usually they almost always get caught because I mean, there's only couple stores where mm-hmm. you can go to and they all know you no it's like they're gonna know each other's stock so you know uh but yeah uh, but we like being downtown i mean you can't beat it we have a ton of room it's cheap yeah it's a great spot and it's really awesome seeing this down. i mean this is the kind of thing that you, uh, you moved away from richmond because it didn't have to go to new york and yeah you know now we've got we've got we can have the urban thing and it's and it's not too much of it it's not too know? much of it yeah yeah and it's easy to get around it's <laughs> so a lot of redundancies in Man- Manhattan now, you know, like New York in general. It's not as scummy as it once was. It's not. I mean, I I, I definitely got scummy. to live in the East Village when it was still sketchy, yeah, as shit, and I really did like that. And I didn't. I never got fucked with, but it just kept people who weren't intrepid out of there. So, like yeah. the people who lived there were interesting, you know. So, oh yeah, yeah, and it's still interesting points, but yeah, like so many stuff closed down where you're just like, you know. I remember we were, you know, we were on 10th Street or across from 99X, which was like, you know, kind of like skinhead supply store or whatever. Mm, like, mm-hmm. And, you know, when it closed down, I was kind of like, you know, I just remember my friend Teddy being like, it's like, wow, like that's pretty much a sign. It's another institution. About to go, you know, like, the, like everything's going to go. And next thing you know, our landlord upped the rent on us and we moved out because he wanted, like, somebody wanted to put a hotel in that location. Yeah. <laughs> they were going to tear it down. Of course, they never did it because they never had the money to do it. Like right during the uh, financial, you know, you know. Oh yeah, two thousand eight. Yeah, about two thousand eight. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I mean, I I, I was living on East Seventh when Giuliani decided that they were going to spend the money to actually enforce the law, and just went in and collected everyone. Yeah, and like pulled the drug dealers out of the house. Everybody been they've been paying the cops, you know, and they had it all taken care of for a long time. But he was just like, no mas. We're gonna we're pulling all of this shit out of here, and we're. Next, it was like the next day. They're, you know, they're just models moving in there and stuff. You know, it's like, crazy. It yeah, wasn't literally, but but close. <laughs> sure, it is weird. I mean that that was that that street was full of a lot of vacant lots. But whatever. Um, time. I think it's time to wrap this up, man. I've had I've had you for two hours. Yeah, here. Well, it was definitely definitely fun. Yeah, like, hell yeah, man. Yeah, we, we just, made it through like every decade so far. We did. We just covered a lot of but, ground. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah. It's been really cool talking to you, man. I'll, and and I'm glad I got to do it here at the at the shop. It's a nice spot. Yeah, thanks. Down here, I'll be back. Yeah, definitely right. come through anytime. Thanks, Curtis. Take it easy. All right, that was Marty Key. And by the way, I forgot to mention that um, the name of his record store, Steady Sounds, and Steady Sounds, and it's down there on Broad Street. Uh, I have the damn address in front of me. It's near Nick's. And by the way, Mr. Nix, my dad calls him Mr. Nix, Nix Produce down. That is the best old school deli in this city down there. I love it. My, my dad's been going there for years. He'd buy my wine and cheese and deli meats and all kinds of stuff down there. And they're not paying me to say this. I just love that place. Um, I, uh, been going there since I was a little kid. <clears throat> and they do nice little things like when my dad, when you, when you grate your, Parmesan down to the nubs. You can take it in there, and they'll grate it for you and give it back to you. Isn't that nice? Anyway, so so Marty's store, Steady Sounds, right around there. 
and they are constantly doing great um, events in there, in stores, performances, and different kinds of stoop sales and, and whatever. And, you know, it's kind of hard to tell where there is. There's a big awning out in front, and it doesn't say steady sounds on it, so look close. But it's right on the corner of the glass windows. Um, go down there, check them out, and like them, steady sounds on Facebook, and, and like me on Facebook, Tantric Conversations has its own page, and like me in the form of monies, because um, you guys, you know, I'm starting to, I, I don't know, I'm starting to jones for some better equipment, I'd like really to get some better microphones and things like that, and I also want to travel, don't you guys want me to travel and go to like New York and, and talk to the Richmond people like Eric Moonhawk Roper, who lives up there now? Some of you have heard of him. He's a pretty famous illustrator now. And uh, here's Emily Skinner, who's an actress that um, is from here, Broadway actress from Richmond. I went to middle school and elementary school with her. And uh, I'm going to try and catch her up there. It's tons of people I could go on and on. And uh, I want to, and then I want to go to LA and talk to Richmond people in LA. And that would be fun. But I can't do it without your support. So give me some money. Stop being so cheap. It costs money because it makes money. And uh, you're, you know, you support me, you're supporting all of these other people who I'm promoting through this podcast. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Do it. Namaste. Namaste.